Yo, welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are talking about the Revelation Records discography, catalog, canon. All of the above. Yeah, in chronological order. And last episode, we had three members of the band Inside Out talking about that record. And this episode, we have a different member of Inside Out talking about that 7-inch. Jason, what do we got this this episode? Uh, this week, we got Chris Bratton joining us from Chain of Strength, from Inside Out, from Statue, from Drive Like Jehu, from Wool, which you may know as members of X Scream. So you know I'm happy. Yo, oh, yes. And, of course, No for an Answer in Justice League. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quite the but, resume. Uh, you know, uh, I, there's a lot of bands on that band that I really loved growing up and uh, listened to quite... Bands on that band? Bands, bands on that on, band? On that list. Sorry. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yesterday, somebody asked me randomly if I liked Drive Like Jehu, and I actually... The first record, I listened to that on cassette in my art class in high school mm-hmm. over and over. And there's that one song with like the really long intro that just kind of has the like repeating noise yes and like man listening to that while you're like doing uh you know a line drawing or painting or something like that it like it's really good it's really good artsy music right (laughs) i like jay who's good good band i'm glad i i didn't get to see him when they're originally around but i did i never saw him him i didn't even see him dude on the good i never saw him oddly so yeah it was neat to hear he was a part of the band and helped actually with the crafting of uh songs on that record yeah uh, first album Um, i was i was outside the hot snake show in dc wearing an inside out shirt Rick Froberg was outside smoking a cigarette, and he said, nice shirt. I haven't seen one of those in a while. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Made up bow, Rick Froberg. Did you tell oh, him yes. to put a cigarette out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but though, that, that resume that Chris Bratton has is one of the most uh, epic resumes of any hardcore musician I've ever seen. Um, and it, yeah. it goes, it's such a, like, it would be one thing if he was like, oh yeah, I was in like five different youth crew bands or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, but to go from like chain of strength to drive like Jehu and wool, it, you know, like it's just such a, a wide variety of yeah. things. It's cool. And after we, after we did the interview, I went uh, on YouTube and I was looking at wool stuff and there's the kill the crow video, which is uh, the first I think it was the first single off their album box set that came out on London Records. So it was like a you know major label album. And the, the video, you see Chris, I'm like, there's our dude Chris on the drums in this video. And uh, Pete Stahl uh, from Scream and Franz Stahl. And uh, that actually reminds me of a correction I have. I, when we talked with Chris and he mentioned about the band The Obsessed, um when we were talking uh later on when we mentioned like wool and the connection with zach um the album was the church within that was like the new one at the time that was signed to a major not incarnate so i want to throw that out there for any of my doom heads i don't want to get uh 
crucified. What was the other band that he was talking about too with the um the person from L7 Big Star or something? Oh, I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, I, for, I the name is is uh, uh unfortunately do your escapes me. I know. <laughs> but, I was, but it sounded super interesting and I wanted to look that yeah. up too. Chris, get us those files if you have them. Yeah, geez. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, Hobbs right, like a really wide uh, like style uh, varied style of resume. And uh, we yeah. were pleased as punch to get to talk to him about this. Cause I did, you know, we've, we've wanted to talk to him. He is we a to. wealth of information and Very a true. abundance of knowledge. It's wild. So uh, definitely someone that we're going to have um, multiple times on this podcast. I would like to. Um, yeah. But Same. before we get into the interview, I think, that it's time to today's sponsor, Bit It Bow to War Records. Um, www.war-rec.com. If you hit them up, use the code where it went in all caps to get 10% off your order. Um, we, we talked for the past couple times about some of the newer stuff. I wanted to maybe give a shout out to a more obscure release, if I may that I would recommend is uh, my buddy uh, Eli, who played drums in the band Bitter End. He uh, also sings. I don't know if they're still active or not, but uh, for a band called Shadow of Doubt that uh, have a seed. It's a CD EP that's on war. And it's if you're in, into crossover and Bitter End and all that stuff, Eli sings and uh, it's really well done. The CD has their, I guess, their EP, but it also has their demo, which rips. So check that out. So that's the bit of bow I want to give to a, a legacy release. On you know there. what else is cool on War Records is uh, that Miracle Drug, How Much Is Enough 12-inch. It looks cool. Um, it's They're a cool band. And honestly, some of the nicest guys that I've ever met in hardcore. Uh, Matt was in Mouthpiece and... Frontiers uh, with with members of Elliot uh-huh. and uh, automatic, automatic, which yeah. I fucking oh, love. Dude. Automatic, yeah, yeah automatic great. And, and, uh, and Kindles. Tommy Brown was in By the Grace of God, right? Oh, I, I love them. think maybe played with Endpoint at some some point. Is also sent me um, some cassettes here and there. Out of bit the about a bit about heart. a Tommy, great yeah, dude, patron, Tommy, great dude. Um, um, and we funny as hell. With, oh, sorry. We were, I was going to say, we played with Miracle Drug. Speaking of nicest guys, I, I, I have to tell this little story because um, it's, it's on brand for Miracle Drug and nice guys. So we played with them and uh, I had bought a bottle of seltzer to drink when we played because I'm always drinking seltzer and I kind of tucked it away in the corner and then went about my business. And I guess Matt had thought that it was just there for the taking because it wasn't even open. Mm. So he, he had he drank it and then he stole your seltzer. Yeah, he 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 stole my seltzer. So Jeez. he um he finds out. You know, I I was like, where'd my seltzer go? And then somehow you know connected the dots. It was him. We we laughed about it and whatever. And then I went away on a vacation with my family, and we get a text from my neighbor, and she's like, "There's a giant box in front of your house, and it's really heavy." Cause we, we told her to get the mail and I was like, I'm not expecting anything. So we get home and I open it and it was a case of seltzer from Matt. Wow. Uh, Polar seltzer? Was, uh, Vantage. 
Oh, I don't know what that vintage? is. Vintage? One of those. Good. It was good. Uh-huh. And uh, I went through it real quick. But yeah, yeah bit of Bo Miracle Drug. Yeah. They were, they were, and they, just a cool sound. They didn't yeah. sound like everything uh, else. The, the, singer, the singer was in CR, right? Yes, Brooks. Yeah. Com- Compassion Revolution. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And another uh, good release, which actually I'm going to purchase as soon as this episode is we're done recording this is the buggy Don't to use the code i'm not going to do it. i'm not going to use the code uh I'm, <laughs> but uh <laughs> uh the buggy demo it's it seems weird like the, the it's i thought it was a weird band name at first but uh it's good and they there's a negative approach cover on it if you want to know what it sounds like um it's members of gel and school school drugs and so everything involved that i've just said you know, you kind of know what it sounds like. It's punk, Ooh. it's raw, it's good, and uh, I, I recommend that. So, school drugs. We we can give a quick bit of bow to friends of the pod, Hell Minded Records. They did the first school drug seven inch, and then, and uh, then indecision. your friend, yeah. Dave Mandel, indecision Mandel, did another yeah. school drug. School drugs aesthetic is wild. They have some wild art and uh, things going on with them. So. Let's say someone does want to order something off of the War Records website. Greg, what do they need to do? So, uh, again, www.war-rec.com. And then at the checkout, when it asks you for a promo code, where it went in all caps, 10% off. 10% off. And that's, that's some good percents. I agree. And you're, and you're supporting a... Uh, a cool hardcore label run by a cool dude, Andrew. Yeah. So, all right. Jason, uh, wait, you had one, one quick war record. Yeah, what do you uh, got? Oh yeah. Pick up that enforced LP. Yeah. When they sent the email to us, they said there was 30 left of the second press. Uh huh. And so now they're on century media. It's probably down to 10. So get it while you can. Yeah. Uh, buy it. The time to buy it is when you see it. Exactly. Damn straight. Yeah. Anything else before we get no, into this wild this interview. interview? Yeah, all right, let's kick it. What's up? We are, this is... Hey, Javier, you made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I made it. Yeah. Amazingly. Yeah. I, re- I rescheduled some other stuff, so we're all here. Uh, we are joined for this episode, special part two of Inside Out. We have a special guest co-host. Uh, once again, joining us is Tim McMahon, uh, who you might remember from Double Cross Fanzine and such bands as Search, Triple Threat, Hands Tied, Mouthpiece. Did I forget any, Tim? Face the enemy. Uh, Face the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. And then our special guest interviewee today is Mr. Chris Bratton. And From Wool. <laughs> everyone, knows what a, what a big, everyone knows what a big I'm, scream fan I am. From so Statue. I had to throw that in there. Yeah, from yeah. Chris Bratton from I, Statue. I was in a couple bands. Yeah. couple bands but <laughs> well, today today we're here to talk about we're here to talk about inside out that's right yes so uh as of this recording part one will have been out where we talked to vic Dakara, sterling wilson and alex Bretto. and so we thought that maybe we would get another side of the story from chris who actually played on 
the record. And so the story that we got from Sterling Wilson was that basically to boil it down, they kicked out Alex from playing drums and got you in. And then it went from there. So what can you tell us about that? Uh, that or the events leading up to that. Okay. Well, I'll go back even further and just start from the beginning of the inside out tale and just kind of give the history of it. Okay. Um, inside out, uh, chain of strength put on a show at, uh, in Pomona yesteryears and the bill was youth of the day. Um, uh, um, instead, instead, Soul Side, Chain of Strength, uh, Hard Stance. That show that we put on, um, uh, Hard Stance played. So I think um, Zach was uh, in the audience and he was a big Underdog fan. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Underdog demo. Yeah. I was just going to ask if the cover photo was from that show then. Yes. That's from that show, right? Oh, nice. So, So imagine Zach... Um, had always, you know, had had rap and hardcore in his mind already. And he sees this dude from Underdog that, that he, you know, everybody loved Underdog. And Underdog has a Bad Brains influence, but at the same time, he's also kind of got this MCA from Beastie Boys vibe kind of to him too, that he's doing at the same time. He's got, a, you know, he's got a wireless hip-hop mic and um, and he's coming with an MC attitude in a band that sounds like Bad Brains, you know, and he's the guitar player youth of the day. So it was kind of like all these elements right in Zach's face. And if you see that seven in or that, uh, that underdog demo, that's, that's the very moment inside out was born as Zach singing along with, uh, Richie underdog. Nice. I love that album cover and I can't yeah. wait to talk about that one either, but yeah, it's so fucking killer, you know? Uh, so Zach walked away from that show thinking I, I fucking need to be a singer. You know, he was a guitar player in, in hard stance. And, um, as you know, he, uh, he was the songwriter in hard stance. He wrote the music and the lyrics and would, uh, would, uh, teach Ernst how to sing those songs, you know? So I think, uh, that's, that's the moment he knew he wanted to be a singer and it's time to get this going on. So inside out is created after that show. So that's, uh, August, 1988. So I'm saying kind of, Fall 1988 is the birth of Inside Out. So yeah. just establishing a timeline here. And then um, uh, he puts together the, the lineup with uh, Sterling and um, Rob Hayworth and uh, Vadim. Vadim from Half Off. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So their first show they ever played is a couple months after that. And in, uh, Riverside at, you know, you ever seen on the back of, uh, the breakdown, the walls cover, uh, the picture of like Richie underdog. It's kind of like an outdoor thing. Yes. That's yeah. what you're talking about. That's Riverside park. And a lot of the famous uniform choice shows and stuff were there. And, uh, so we put on a show there and it's a no for an answer and, um, amenity and chain of strength and inside out state view show. Okay, sweet. So, yeah, and who so, was a no for an answer at that point? Was that you, Sterling, Dan, yes. and um, oh gosh, oh uh, Gavin, Gavin, Gavin. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's the me and Sterling lineup. And you know, just a couple months ago, we just recorded Thought, Thought Crusade, which sounds sick. 
Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite no for an answer stuff, but go on. Mine also. Oh, thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, that album came out good. So, um, yeah, so that, that was Inside Out's first show. And um, uh, I, as an audience member in that show, I remember thinking, wow, Zach is a lot better than Ernst is in hard stance. Okay. That, that's noteworthy. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what was the reaction to seeing them? So it was just, this is cool. Zach's a good singer, but did it seem like, holy shit, this no, band's on to something new? Okay. Didn't seem like it was going to set the world on fire or anything like that. But, you know, okay. granted, it's, it's their very first show. But Fair. my take, it was like, he's better than Ernst. Yeah. But uh, as, as uh, Alex's takeaway was, was like, yeah, that singer's really got something, you know. He, Alex was gears were turned there from that okay. show. But he's also in hard stance, and he got to see up close and personal how he was guiding Ernst's vocals the whole time and, you know, putting the words in his mouth and stuff, which was very similar to Walter from Grill Biscuits and the setup he had with Siv. Okay. Walter, Walter wrote all those lyrics and showed him how to sing them. So anyways, he, uh, he kind of made his uh, Ian McKay going from teen idols to minor threat move there. You know, I'm going to put down this guitar slash bass <laughs> and uh, I need to hold that mic. Yeah. yeah it, it was totally time for Zach to hold the mic. And yeah, he was, he was seeming pretty natural right off the bat. So that, that was that show. And then um, we, Chain of Strength goes to New York for the first time right after that show. And uh, during that New York trip, uh, November of 88, and during that trip, we played a show with, uh, in Pennsylvania with Grill Biscuits and uh, No For An Answer, and uh, Beyond was on that show. Okay. And so that was the first time we saw Beyond. And they were really cool at that show, but we are kind of more focused on our thing. We weren't actually on the bill, so we were kind of thrown on during No For An Answer set. It's all chaotic and happy hazard and whatnot and so and that was beyond with without vic right because he'd already moved no no you're no 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 he's he's on base oh he is on base okay Okay. he's got way long before he's gonna move so that winter of 88 is where we're at in the timeline and then um uh so we do those shows in new york and we come back home and then a couple months later, we go out to New York again. And this time around, um, we're playing like CBGBs and Anthrax. And, and uh, we played Anthrax the other show, other tour too. But um, this time around, we were hanging with uh, Purcell and Tom Beyond in their Williamsburg place they lived at back then. Mm-hmm. And they had the big wall of fame with like, Harley and his pit bull and all kinds of rad shit on their mm-hmm. wall of fame. And, um, um, uh, so we were hanging with them and then, uh, we were all going to go see beyond play at, um, CB's cause, uh, uh, uh at that point, uh, Purcell was going to sign, um, beyond to schism. Okay. Okay. So we're all, we're all at CB's watching beyond and me and Alex are standing next to each other watching beyond and we're going, fuck dude check out that fucking bass player with the dreads this guy's fucking sick dude and he was just he had his shirt off he had fucking dreads and he was going berserk 
and then Alan Cage was playing all these like fucking heavy tribal drums and he's all like pro and shit, you know, all coming bottom and shit at us. And <laughs> we're, we're, we're feeling like, man, check out this tribal group. This is awesome. I mean, me and Alpine were already tribal drummers and stuff. It wasn't anything new to us, but it was just so dope how like Vic and uh, Al Cage played together. Yeah. And then, and then you got rad ass kind of uh, kid Brian Baker on guitar, but all like kind of metal, you know? So we definitely took note of Tom Dion at that point too. And then you got this killer kind of embrace, but youth crew singer. Yeah. So Beyond really had this whole package and we're just like, fuck, this is rad. But overall we're like that dude on bass, you know, me and, me and Al Payne both walked away going that dude on bass. That guy's the shit dude. And so back at uh, the Williamsburg apartment, we're all kind of uh, just hanging and talking and shit and having a good time. And then, uh, Tom Beyond pulls me aside and he says, uh, Hey, chain of strength is from, uh, like Pomona, right? I'm like, yeah, uh, yes, pretty much. Uh, some of us Pomona, some of us Claremont, I'm Riverside, but yeah, um, that's kind of where we practice and that's what's up. And he goes, Hey, um, um, Beyond's going to break up. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? You guys are totally going to be huge here. He goes, yeah, um, Vic's going to college in, uh, uh, California. So we're going to break up. I'm like, Oh, and he goes, uh, so the school he's going to is Cal Poly Pomona. Um, do you think you could do me a favor and kind of, uh, Vic doesn't know anyone in California. Can you kind of like take him under your wing and take him to shows and kind of be his friend and be his kind of ambassador, you know? Okay. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Give me Vic's uh, contact info. And I'll totally hang out with him and make sure, you know, has a good time in Southern California. <clears throat> so when we get, I got that number in my pocket and I kind of forget about it, you know? And then when we get home, um, from that tour, Oh, while we're, while we're at that tour, um, we did, a uh, chain did a session at Don Fury for a comp we were going to do. Oh, so you did record at Don Fury. Yeah, that happened. So we recorded one song at Don Fury for a comp that never came out. What's so up with the song? Was, Is the song released? It exists, but we don't we don't know where it is. We haven't heard it, but it exists. I got the tapes right over there. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> we'll save that for the chain. Uh, yes, yes, that's awesome. Though. I just kind of wanted to paint a picture of what we were doing in New York on that trip because that trip was really fun. Okay, but, um, we get home, and a couple of days later, Ryan gives me a call. He goes, "Dude, I just fucking heard." Dave Smalley quit all. You know, Smalley was the singer of all the descendants, you know? Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck did he quit all for? And, you know, he killed it on that record. That was awesome. He goes, well, here's what I'm hearing. Uh, descendants want to live in the middle of the country, like, like Fort Collins or whatever. And so it'll be easier to tour and stuff. And they tour like fucking crazy. And Dave Smalley didn't even really like touring all that much and didn't want to live in the middle of the country. So he bailed, dude. You know, he pulled a Dag Nasty and bailed all as well, you know? Okay. And, and I go, wow, that's too bad. Oh, well, who cares? And he goes, well, what I'm thinking, dude, let's put a fucking band together for Smalley. Because he lives in LA. And I'm like, dude, Smalley didn't want to fucking play with us. What are you talking about, dude? And he's like, no, dude, dude, let's totally do it. Let's put a band together and we'll get Smalley to sing for it. I'm like, all right, dude, get his fucking number and and we'll see what he's doing. But I doubt it. And he's all, all right, all right, you'll see. 
So I didn't think anything of it, but then Ryan actually goes and gets his number. I don't know how he got it, but he somehow gets Dave Smalley's number. And then Ryan tells me, dude, I'm totally scared. I can't call him. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you got his number. Let's just call him. He's like, no, dude, I can't. I'm scared. <laughs> He's all, you got to do it. I'm like, all right, dude, I don't care. I'll call Dave Smalley. So I get on the phone with fucking Dave Smalley, cold calling Dave Smalley, right? And start telling him, hey, we heard you're out of all and and you live in Southern California. Are you interested in, in starting a new band? Um, yeah, actually, I'm super interested in starting a new band. And yeah, I'd love to get you to know you and uh, what's going on and what do you want to do? And so we start talking and talking and talking. And next thing you know, hours go by and I'm talking to Dave Smalley, my hero from like DAG and DYS, you know? Yeah. And he wants to start a band. So I'm like, fuck, this is great. So I, I go, okay, well, let me call my dude and, and uh, we'll, we'll get back to you. So I call Brian. I go, dude, it, it looks like we might be in here. Let's, uh, let's go do this. So Ryan, uh, Ryan goes, yeah, I keep talking to him. So I ended up, I start calling him like twice a week and we talk for hours. Right. And it was, kind of, I don't want to get too into it, but it was kind of weird. He started feeling comfortable enough with me to start talking about the Republican shit, you know? Okay. And that was the very first time in my whole life I realized, Hey dude, there's a dude in punk rock. That's Republican. How could this even fucking be? <laughs> it was just, yeah fucking blew my mind right but um i'm i don't care i'm like whatever i want to be in a band with the dude from dag nasty so we keep talking a couple times a week hours and hours at a time and then uh i go uh i call up uh vic takara at his uh dorm in uh cal poly pomona i say hey this is chris bratton uh tom gave me your number and uh, he thought maybe uh, you want to go go to some shows and hang out and shit. He's like, yeah, I'm dying for those. I don't know what the fuck they are. Yeah, come hang out, you know. So I go to his dorm. Um, I'm hanging out with him, and and I said, uh, man, you're really fucking good and beyond, dude. Did you bring your uh, Did you bring your bass? And he goes, well, actually, I'm not really a bass player. I just play bass and beyond because Tom's the guitar player. It's like his band, you know. But I'm really a guitar player. I'm like, really? Okay, well, wow did you, do you have a guitar? Did you bring a guitar? He goes, well, yeah, actually. And he reaches over behind some shit and like fucking King Arthur, dude, he pulls out fucking at Excalibur. <laughs> it, it's this fucking white BC rich bitch. Yeah. Jersey series. And you know, everyone in the youth crew plays a fucking Gibson. It's like, it's like less Paul or <laughs> youth crew. That's it. There's no, no variance, you know, but, uh, I immediately was like, that's the fucking Paris Chromag's guitar. And it's also the John Christ Danza guitar. This dude's fucking rad. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, like rad. Okay. Uh, uh, do, you have, do you have an amp? And he's like, yeah. And then he, he's got this little practice amp, plugs it in. And dude is fucking starts laying all these Dr. No licks on me. Nice. And fucking killing it. And he's like this, Beyond the Dr. No Bad Brains thing, Vic is like this perfect fucking combination of Bad Brains, Dr. No Bad Brains, Guy writes a spring, Fugazi, and fucking Bubba Dupree Void. Couldn't agree more. All those things. Well said. You know what I mean? And, And I'm thinking to myself, did I just write on a piece of paper my dream guitar player? 
and what he would be like and all his influences. And then all of a sudden God just dropped him in front of me. What the fuck is happening here? This guy is my fucking uh, hardcore brother here. (laughs) I got to play with this dude. And I go, hey, um, do you want to be in a band while you're out here in Southern California? He's like, fuck yeah, I can't wait to play again. I'm going nuts. I'm like, killer. Okay, cool. Um, I got to bounce, but I'll be in touch. And so I go back. I immediately call Ryan. And I go, hey, Ryan. Um, so I met this dude, Vic, from that band Beyond. Remember we played with? Uh, he's fucking killer. Dude. He plays just like Dr. No Bad Brains. And he goes, uh, cool. I, I want to meet him. Uh, I go, okay, cool. So we go out there again. And I have a meeting with uh, Vic and Ryan and me. And then uh, we talk about shit and influences and stuff. And then we drive away. And I go, so what do you think? He goes, let's get him in the small again. I'm like, all right, we're doing this. So we call up, uh, call up uh, Vic after that meeting. And I say, hey, dude, do you want to be in a band with us? And uh, Dave Smalley's the singer. I was like, fuck, yes. Okay, <laughs> great. Yeah. So um, Chance Drink practice just up the street from where uh, uh, Vic was going to school. So uh Frosty's dad had this trucking company and we would go in after hours, walk all our gear in. And it was in this tiny like office part where it was all cramped and shit. And we barely fit. There wasn't even enough room for a PA. So like Kurt didn't even go to all these practices. It was just instrumental practices. But um, Frosty was super rad and cool enough to let us uh, do this smallie band practice after chain would practice. So Ryan, uh, I think four songs total got written. I think uh, Ryan wrote one for sure, and Vicky either wrote two or three for sure. And all the songs were fucking rad. It was, uh, it sounded like um, Dag Nasty, um, Rites of Spring, Minor Threat, Bad Brains. You know, it was the exact formula what Inside Out was about to be. Nice. And so we went and we practiced these songs and practiced them until we got them tight. And then um, Ryan was like, hey, we got to go. We got to go jam with Smalley, but we can't bring Smalley to this fucking dopey like living room. We practice in this uh, office room. Um, let's go rent a real studio and uh, a real like rehearsal studio with a good PA and stuff. And, and we'll be a little more pro that way. I said, yeah, cool. And then he goes, um, and shit, we don't have a bass player yet. And I'm like, let's just get Alpine. He's like, all right, cool. So Alpine's in at kind of the last second. Um, uh, so we call up Small and we go, hey, dude, we're ready. Do you want to kind of audition each other? And he's like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do this. It's like super amped. So we go down uh, to this studio in Orange County, set up all shit. Um, we played a bit before Smalley got there. So we're all warmed up and ready to go. Smalley walks in and we'll do some small chit chat, small talk. And then we're both like, all right, you ready to do this? Let's do this. Says, all right, cool. So we bust out those four songs for him and we like lay fucking napalm on that fool. <laughs> we just like lit that, lit that dude up like a fucking and just blazed fire all over that man. Yeah. <laughs> and and think about it it's it's three dudes that are going to be an inside out 
it's it's Vic. Um, hey. Oh, by the way, I I have a special guest for us this evening. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Pat Flynn. What's we going on, Pat? Pat as uh, I was just as, talking to you like forty-five minutes ago. Yeah, oh, no kidding. Oh, you I didn't get enough of me, huh? <laughs> True to form to this podcast, we have an unannounced visitor. Uh, Pat I didn't Flynn know has, I was has joined. I didn't, know, the, I didn't know I was coming. I had no idea. I'm like, I see your name in the waiting room, and the last time that happened, it was Jordan Cooper, and I'm like, uh, Jordan's coming into this chat. So, welcome, Pat. Uh, <laughs> I'm 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 of limited time. Chris hit me up, and uh, he was he was like, you can just do ten minutes. So I'm I'm just like in the fucking middle of this. I have no idea what you guys are talking about Popping right now. In. I imagine it's the inside out. We're yeah, talking, talking about inside out. Yeah, Dave, Dave Smalley, and all kinds of wild stuff is happening oh, here. Oh, okay. okay, my my story is totally going to hit the pause button. Let's maximize, Mr. Pat Flynn, and you have the floor. Yeah, sure. Well, I I I I, I had heard that someone w- w- was. I got to keep up with the episodes. Uh, it's 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 been a wild ride in uh, American politics lately. So my my hardcore podcasting listening has been off to the side. So I got to catch up, but I, I had heard that there wasn't proper amount of, of love for the no spiritual surrender seven inch. Is that, is that true or something or whatever? Well, the, the, so the part one we had on Sterling, Alex yes. and Vic, and it okay. was, a, it was a great conversation, great dudes, but you got to think we're talking to two people that didn't play on the seven inch. That's right. Yeah. And one that did, and you've put out records like, a lot of times, if it doesn't come out the way you want, people can tell you, "Oh man, this record's so good," and you'll be like, "I don't, oh. I don't like it. I don't. It does, this isn't the way I wanted it to sound." And that was that's my take from it, especially from Vic's like to to kind of corroborate with Vic's uh, opinion is like one of his guitar tracks was erased and he's just not happy with the recording. So oh, no shit. Oh, yeah. I, it's so I I. I Fucking love these conversations. What's up, Tim? Jason? Hey, what's, oh, up, Pat? what's up? What's <laughs> up? We, we, I love the seven inch. And, oh, you know, I, I love the seven inch. Much. Oh, yeah, I, I, I can, I can speak to the first time I heard it. Uh, I see, I, like my, I don't know about you. you, you I, I'm, I'm guessing I'm the youngest one in the room right now. Um, <laughs> Rub it in. Yeah, <laughs> I usually do. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you notice, but I got some some shit going on here. <laughs> yeah check out but, the uh, young guy <laughs> <laughs> um but uh so I, I i had clearly like been listening to rage against the machine far before inside out so i don't know where everyone in the room has like but like i i re- like you know rage was like the band i had to like listen to but prior to finding you know hardcore and punk and it was such a I knew it was such a weird breath of fresh air to listen to Rage as opposed to like Corn, which was dominating my <laughs> life, uh, unfortunately. Um, but so like, you know, when I eventually discovered hardcore, it had been like two years really since I had like listened to Rage. And then someone I forget, I think a friend of mine in high school goes, you know that the singer of Rage Against the Machine had been. Uh, a hardcore band and i was like get the fuck out of here because i like <laughs> like uh, and i was like i was definitely like well you know rage sucks but he i, I lying to myself because it was like lame at that time to like 
<laughs> anything mainstream. But uh, I, I eventually came across it, and he was like, yeah, dudes from fucking Chain of Strength were in it too. And my mind fucking exploded. <laughs> I, have like, this, I have a similar story same. too. Like, I was like, how is that possible? And then and they're like, uh, and, and then my friend gave me the in-flight comp, uh, yeah. which was more of like yep. a... It was more of like a sampler than sampler, like a yeah. comp, really. Um, but uh, I remember listening to it, and I was like, "No spiritual turners on that." And I remember just being like, "Oh my god!" Like it instantly connected, and uh, I and then I ended up getting it on tape uh, and listening into like my my shitty, 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 shitty car over and over. Yeah, that, there you go. There it is. Yeah, Dude. nice cassette. And <laughs> Jason, Jason just held up the cassette version of the yeah, just the cover because I lost the tape, unfortunately. But I still <laughs> hey, held on to the cover. Even that's even that's a killer artifact. Yeah, that's cool. very true. Uh, but so interesting enough, like the two th- the two like like styles of hardcore that are dominating my life really at this time, and, and I'm not just making this up, but like few and far between, and. And the hands tied seven inches. Like th- those are, and those are, those are f- like, they're not as heavy as No Spiritual Surrender. So like when, uh, upon hearing the song No Spiritual Surrender, I was like, um, because I hadn't really explored much of the 90s that much. And I was still, into, I just needed the fastness. I needed, I needed chain like everywhere I went. That's but I liked the heaviness of chain. Uh, but my <laughs> God, like, so like, I remember hearing that and be like, oh, this is, this is, this is kind of, reminding me of what I liked, you know, the heaviness that I liked of, of new metal. But, uh, and then upon just actually getting the tape, uh, I just remember being like totally, totally floored. Zach's lyrics were just unbelievable. But the, the in syncness of, of the musicianship to me was what was like perfect. It, it was, I was just getting into Swizz and like the, the kind of gallopy beat, that was like yeah 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 and it's most present in 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 redemption and and and, and burning and fight yeah 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 i i don't i don't know I, like it, i i i'm 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 kind of caught there's off guard there's definitely some some jason farrell like kind of guitar work there for sure oh totally totally it, it was unlike anything i had heard in heart like in in my like likeness for hardcore which at that point was like 1980 to really 1988 uh you know anything really past that was like totally foreign to me when i was like 15 16 but uh yeah it it, it was truly unlike anything i had ever listened to and the fact that it was just a just a seven inch made it that much more mystical and uh i i, I more or less became obsessed i can say for a, like a complete fucking fact that there would be no have heart if if there was no um, if, if there was no inside out. Now I, I, I can say that by about a select few bands, <laughs> uh, but I, I th- that is pretty, pretty certain and true. I, I, cause me and Ryan Hudon were, um, kicked out of our first hardcore band and, uh, and like, we were just totally fucking burnt. And I remember the opening lines and there were like a bunch of cool guys in the scene and, in in, in, in New Bedford, and the opening lines to Burning Fight were just unbelievable. And years later, I discovered, and I could be wrong, but apparently that was about Matt from Bold. Uh, I, I, I had heard through the grapevine. I won't say 
say who, but I guess, <laughs> I guess, I guess Zach had been burned by Matt or something like that. And, and, and that, that those, those lyrics, I, I don't know. I, maybe this is all folklore. I don't want to, <laughs> uh, I don't want to like, you know, um, kind of, feed the rumor mill but i remember just thinking like oh man it all makes sense now i got burned by cool guys and he got burned by and i later met matt and he was like the nicest sweetest guy on the planet so all the for for my generation uh which is like you know just getting like i started going to shows in 99 it's it's the it's the true still to this day kind of mystical and, and like it's just bizarro chris you hitting me up saying like come on and jump on it and i'm like oh my god and i and i see tim and jason and like <laughs> you know it, it's it's still it's still you know uh hard to process but the uh the folklorness and i remember talking to you Kristen, you know year, years ago me and austin stemper like just just punished Chris, we like over the phone, we're like, tell us the stories, man. And it wasn't, it wasn't even for like, it wasn't even for like a podcast. We were like, just tell us the stories. We were like, I think we were like, what did you guys think of burn? Like just everything we could punish you for. And we were so grateful for you uh, offering us those stories. But uh, I met one, one story that stands out in my mind was just, I like, maybe I have this remembered wrong, but I, I remember you telling us that much of the seven inch was written kind of like in a shortish period of time. And like a lot of the practices were just like in like someone's bedroom. Is that, is that right? Correct. Yeah. Alex, yeah. Alex, Alex, Alex's, Alex's bedroom was this mystical, magical fucking place where they wrote the bulk of the inside out seven inch. And, yeah. and also uh, all the statue songs. Yeah. Oh, nice. and, and, and also the chain of strength unreleased 12 inch. Oh, the mystical okay. unicorn, you know, all that shit was written in Alex's bedroom. So that's, that's probably my favorite practice room I've ever pr- played in my life. But yeah, go, it should, it should be, it should be by little Caesar's on, on the national bread. registry. Fueled by little Caesar's crazy bread. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that was uh, mostly, that was mostly an inside out thing though. So I, I got to put that in. I, I think you can kind of tell that it was written in a tight room. And and maybe right? like, that, that that's just my my interpretation, and I just think that the the geographical proximity of the writing process is so impactful. I remember uh, hearing that like uh, Suicide File, who just like man oh man, like those songs that were so incredibly tight, and they were just like little tiny grenades that just went off one by one by one <laughs> by one. And I remember hearing that like they just they just they wrote most of those their songs in like this tiny little apartment in Boston. And, and I remember hearing that about what most of the seven inch was written in. And, and to me, it just sort of made sense. Everything is perfectly in sync and, and totally tuned. Zach's presence and, and Zach was at the practices. He was correct. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, like, sure. he, he, yeah, there's even a, a, this is Alex's bedroom, dude. It's tiny as fuck. And there's, yeah. there's a fucking bed there too, you know? And so <laughs> somehow we had also this dinky little PA and, and Zach's just, I'm not, I'm not, in the band at that point but uh, zach was going for it and that and yeah they were fucking killing it in there oh man awesome it 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 translates through into the music and i just uh you know i'm i'm grateful for the for the seven inch and i i gotta i gotta run wait pat one more question yeah i got one more question too though have you have you covered this entire seven inch and all your different band because i feel like i've seen you do a couple (laughs) inside out yeah you know the the only songs i've done uh 
in, in, in the collection of bands, Burning Flight, No Spiritual Surrender, um, never did By a Threat. I sang it with verse, though. Mm, sang nice. By a Threat with verse. We'll count it. Uh, I've always, truly always wanted to do Redemption. And I just, I just to me, that's, that, that's my favorite song on the record. Undertone is amazing, too. I, I think is, I, yeah. I, tore, I toured with this band called Learn, and they were covering it one summer. Maybe that was the, uh, your memory from that. Uh, I, I think you were on that tour. It came by or something. Whatever it was, I, I, I've always yeah, wanted to... I feel I've like always I've wanted to do Redemption. Redemption is like the perfect song lyrically, musically. It's it's dag nasty. It's 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 faith, and it's 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 inside out. It's it's perfect. It's, yeah. it's a perfect song. Hey Pat, before yeah. you go, and I hope it's cool that I asked, but I was I posted the a photo of the Zach postcard that I made that said "Where is Zach De La Roca?" and a friend <laughs> hit me up and said, um, "Oh, did you try to get him? You know that have heart." Tried to get him to sing oh, "No yeah. Spiritual Surrender" at the reunion show. Yeah, can you talk about that real quick? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I didn't know right. that happened. Yeah, I, okay, so, yeah, <laughs> where's Zach? All right, yeah, I can speak to that. Um, okay, thank you. Sure, sure. Uh, so, um, how, uh, what's his face? Um, OG Ignite singer. Um, I'm having a brain. Joe, part, Nelson. Uh, Joe Nelson. Joe Nelson. Joe, yeah. Joe Nelson. Yeah, yeah. I, I've come to know Joe uh, pretty well over the years, and I, I like you know. You know, I I loved Killing Flame growing up. I I, I fucking loved Killing Flame. Uh, uh, I, I'm so bummed I never got to see them. But uh, out of the blue, uh, Joe hit me up. He was doing an article for. I, I got to close the door. One quick second. Okay, <laughs> I'll take that time to say that. So, so Count Me Out played with Mouthpiece in mm-hmm. Philly, and the Killing Flame opened. Right, right. And I uh, saw Killing Flame two days in a row because of that. Okay, Alex was playing bass, and Count Me Out covered Letdown. And then afterwards, Alex came up to me and said, oh, that was pretty cool. I didn't expect that reaction. And I did not know who Alex was because I had not seen him at that point. You know? Was Alex on guitar for Killing Flame then or no? I don't know. Doesn't yeah, he matter. was on guitar. Okay, cool. Yeah, Pat, yeah. Man, that's a, that sounds like a fucking great show. Anyway, um, so uh, uh, Joe and I got in touch uh, when Fiddlehead put out our, our record and he's interviewing us and we've, 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 we've developed a, a nice friendship over the years. And, uh, Fiddlehead's great, by the way. Oh, thank you, Jason. It means more, it means <laughs> well, more Jason, than let the man tell I'm the sorry. Story. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Um, so, uh, he, you know, and like, I, you listen, I, if I get a chance to punish somebody, I'm going to punish them. And like, I, at this point in my life, I, I live for the stories. So like, you know, I, I've, I, I'll punish Joe, get the stories. And, um, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he, I guess he's, he's friend, friends with, with Zach and they keep in touch uh, pretty often. And, um, so we had played the Boston shows or the Worcester shows and there was a, you know, a good amount of people that showed up and, uh, I guess it, I guess it caught on the radar of, of Zach or something like that. And Joe and Zach were talking and, and Zach had just come. He's like, Oh, that, that, that's really dope. Um, and then the day of the second LA show that we played, um, I just like randomly, I was like, yo, like, I know, I know you're, I know you're, you're friends with Zach, you know, just hit him up. Uh, you know, see if he like, you know, let him know that like, you know, cause we had the night before we had, opened our set with uh rage rage's um uh rendition of devo's beautiful world really powerful uh 
delivery. Unbeknownst to us, apparently Zach fucking hates that cover that they did, but it was like all Tom Morello's idea or something. Uh, anyway, so uh, I hit up Joe and he was watching um, One Step Closer cover Burning Fight. And he, uh, you know, sent, he sent Zach, you know, like a, like a video of One Step Closer covering that. And we were going to, we uh, free uh, a version of Have Heart uh, post Have Heart covered No Spiritual Surrender, and so we just hit up. We were just we just I just said you know, hit him up see if see if he'd be down. And I guess for now that was on the first day. So the second day, so it was like this back and forth all day. And Joe was like, he said he, he said he might make it. He said like if he's got he's got to check out. Um, he's got, he's got to check out, uh, you know, what his plans are for like, he's in the studio or something like that. So for like the whole day, we're like, what's, what's the update? Is it, <laughs> it was like super lame, but like for a quick second, we were like, you know, like, cause we were, the, the reunions were, uh, you know, were a great time and we were like beside ourselves. Um, and, uh, and like the idea of like, you know, Zach singing no spiritual surrender, like with us. And, uh, I like me and Austin had talked about Chris, like getting you on there and we just didn't know, like, <laughs> we're like that oh, just basically an inside out impromptu inside out cover. Uh, <laughs> any, uh, anyway, but that it, it didn't happen. Uh, but, uh, it was, uh, exciting to live, exist in that dreamland for a moment. But apparently he, uh, he was, uh, in the studio, which I'm sure is code for, I don't want to go to a hardcore show. <laughs> um, but uh, listen, I, I wish I could stay. Uh, yes, I gotta, we I wish to check in, uh, uh, fellas. Uh, be well in 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 these times, and uh, yeah, take care. Thanks for thanks, thanks for having me. I, 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 would, thanks, I would truly love to out, stick Pat. around. Have a good time. Thank you. All right, so that's like a dream sequence. Whew. Now we can go back to Dave Small. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so where I left off was, you know, we we just uh, blazed you melted Mr. Smalley. Yeah, you melted Dave Smalley. <laughs> melted Dave Smalley's face, right? And so we're <laughs> after we did those four songs, we're we're all kind of looking at each other, like, man, that was fucking rad. We just killed that dude, and and we're looking looking around, we're all smiling and shit, and then we look up at Smalley and we go, all right, man, so what'd you think? And Smalley goes, you know, this pause. like that <laughs> and, he goes, and he goes in that weird grover voice that he's got from like the muppets well guys um you know um at this point in my career and we're like eh, did he just say career <laughs> and and he goes at this point in my career i'm trying to really trying to distance myself from the dag nasty thing and we're like uh okay and just all the air got sucked out of the room it was just like shoom. the vibe just turned totally to nothing you know it went from everything to nothing you want to know what's and, funny though is that um we interviewed him yeah. for a bonus episode with with uh don't sleep yeah and actually at the end i was like hey i want to ask you about this because it was right. in a book and at least what he said, he has no recollection of that. Now, granted, right. he's probably jammed with so many different people, so it's it's plausible. But at this, and he was he was cool about it. But he was like, "Well, if, he's like those guys are cool. Like if they say that happened, sure." Um, <laughs> but I just thought that was funny because 
you know, that's so, a pretty so, big deal. So here's what happens. So we go, well, wh- what is it you want to do? And he goes, well, uh, Ryan, uh, do you mind if I uh, uh, put on your Les Paul? And he's like, uh, yeah, sure. So he puts on Ryan's Les Paul and he walks over to Ryan's Marshall and dude like cranks down the distortion. Mm. Mm, right. <laughs> and, 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 he, and, he, and he starts jangling. Right. And then he starts hitting this like kind of marginal manny kind of jangly song, you know, and we're looking at him and he's, and he's playing it and he's all into it and shit. And then he stops and he goes, yeah. So in, in the new band I do, I, I, I'm going to play guitar and sing. And we're all like, no, like just like he lit a fart, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, I did that. Not your forte, dude. And so we're just rapidly like, all right, this is a dud, you know? So the song he actually played us goes on to be a down by Law song. So what song was it? Do you remember? No clue, but it's one of the first one, one of the songs off the first record. I have to say those early down by law records are awesome, but that's a yeah, because what what he where he was at, you know, he wanted to get down with pop punk because it was all popular and he's good at it and he wanted to get down with like some stiff little fingers action yeah and so yeah yeah go for it that we just were totally not on the same page right so once we all realized that and we kind of had a laugh at it and we're like all right cool so we're not on the same page uh we all looked at each other and we're like well it's like that that took 20 minutes we booked an hour <laughs> what do you guys want to do and everybody's looking at everybody and i go minor threat cover and smally goes sure <laughs> and so chain uh from chain's first show to almost every show we ever played we played Meyer threat betray and so we whipped out betray with smalley singing and it was fucking rad and it was rad because all of a sudden smalley got to stop being mr smalley and just be a fanboy of minor threat you know yeah and so it was dope and and that was fun and then we just packed up and went home that was it and but that's how that's how uh me and Vic Takara immediately had this fucking chemistry together. It was insane. Like I said, he was, he was my brother that was dropped out of the heavens into my lap. And, yeah. and I was going to pursue that, uh, whether or not Smalley wanted to be a part of it. So um, I'm definitely going to take these songs he just wrote, and me and Vic are going to go start a band, and we're going to get another singer and ryan be a part of it ryan not be a part of it i don't know i don't care i want to do a band with vic but um unbeknownst to me vic had got uh alex had gotten vic's phone number and totally behind my back uh snatched a vic to car to be in his new version of inside out that had been dormant for like six months okay so were those songs that you practiced with smalley did those turn into inside out songs or was those just What's insane was Vic and Alex did not take those songs and put them in Inside Out. Oh, I okay. Know, I don't know why. Those songs still just exist. Now, Statue adopted one of those songs because me and Alex both thought that song was so fucking dope. And we were never going to record it because Vic wrote it. But we played it at a bunch of shows because it was killer. But then we okay. dropped it because Statue has something like between 50 and 75 songs. Oh, Wow. So anyways, that's, that's and, but only like 12 are recorded or less than that, right? 10, uh, total seven inch nine. and the nine, <laughs> the two, wow. se- two, seven inches total is nine songs. <laughs> okay. 
that's a, that's a <laughs> lot of information to take in. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> um, like I said, inside out had been dormant that whole time. And then, um, Alex had been kind of at hard stance practices going back and forth. They'd been leaning on Zach to reactivate inside out. And, um, uh, he finally got him to with telling him about this, uh, this Vic character that he just met. And it was so fucking killer and so bad brains and you got to meet him, you know? And sure enough, when he brought Vic over to, uh, Alex's bedroom practice place and had, uh, Zach and Vic meet for the first time and Sterling and Alex on drums, they had total chemistry right off the bat and just slayed, you know? And yeah. that's where, that's where, uh, they made up, um, they made up no spiritual surrender in that practice room. Um, burning fight already existed from the Rob uh, era. Um, redemption, I think, existed from the Rob era, but Vic brought an undertone at that bedroom session. Okay, that was made up, that was made up there. And so, yeah, that's the four four song seven inch. Uh, burning fight was already written. Undertone was written in in that bedroom uh by a thread was written in the bedroom and no spiritual surrender so yeah the bulk of the seven inch and then redemption and burning fight were from the rob era okay was there a demo or was it just okay let me clear up this whole thing about demos for inside out okay it's a total fucking unicorn there is no demo there never was a whole nother recording what they're talking about when everybody refers to a demo for inside out when you go to when any band goes to a studio at the end of the night, um, what you just did, and say say you're already at the point where you've done guitar overdubs and vocals, and you've already done your basic tracks, and it's it's pretty much done, but you need to mix it right. Yeah. Then there invariably says to you, "Hey, do you guys want a rough mix to take home with you?" You know, it's not the final mix; it's just what I'm going to do on the fly here. I'm going to take like a half hour, slap a mix together for you, and give it to you on a cassette so you can study it. And then come back when we do the real mix and tell us what you want to do, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's called a, that's called a take home mix. So that is what Vic had. And that's what's leaked out over the years. And that that's what exists that you think it sounds different because it's a whole different mix. And it has the third guitar track that got erased. Okay. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Take it home. Let's do it in your car. Yeah. So when everybody says demo tape, there is no demo tape. It's not a different recording. It's just a different mix. Okay. But it does sound different. Yeah, it and does. It's, and it's dope. It's, it's different. It's, it's like an alternate reality inside out. Yeah. Does anybody, does anybody have a copy of that? Yes. Vic, Vic has the master tape copy. Oh, he does. That, that he took home that night. And uh-huh. he gave it to Jordan. So it exists now. We have it. and. Oh, okay. So Jordan has it. Jordan has it. It's in the rev vaults now. So, and can you hear the third guitar track? Okay, on it, because what I heard online I, that I said have, demo. Yeah, okay, I haven't heard. I haven't heard it since back then, so I'm kind of out of the loop. What yeah. the differences are? What and, I uh, heard, I couldn't hear I'm the about, third I'm guitar about, track. I'm about to hear it. You know, I'm about. Is to there? Get they want to work on putting it on a 12 inch, right? With the extra. That's what Jordan. No, no. So what it's gonna what it's gonna be? It's gonna be a 12 inch um, of all the songs that are on the CD. Okay. So, so picture like a 12 inch version of that. And like Jordan was saying, it'll be on 45 RPM vinyl and it'll sound fucking killer. So that, that's the reissue beyond that. Something else is going to happen with the, let's call that the, 
Vic Takara's director's cut of No Spiritual Surrender. So uh, they knew instantly that this is the shit and this band is is everything. And I think uh, uh, Zach got talked into breaking up Hard Stance overnight over that. And so okay. Hard Stance is gone. Inside Out's the band now. They immediately play Spankies as their debut show. And like I was saying, just total fucking napalm. It's like is, burned, burned everyone to the ground at that show. Is that the photo that's on the cover? Is no. that the Spanky show? Okay. No, that's later. Okay. That's, uh, that's from my era. Okay. Okay, so um, that whole summer, you, you've heard of Revolution Summer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That whole summer was inside out summer. They just took over SoCal, dominated everybody, made every band look foolish and redundant just overnight, and just fucking killed. So inside out summer was in full effect, and uh, everybody had to take note. Everybody had to fully take note. And then capping off that summer was that uh, Youth of the Day's last show at Fender's with that stacked ass bill with like judge and bold and everybody mm-hmm. yeah and that that was kind of when everybody first got all the east coast dudes first got wind of inside out they came to um um they came to a practice and they were super blown away and everybody had to go back to new york and think about what they were doing after they saw inside out yeah, yeah. i think i think i think walter's wearing a uh, inside out shirt at that show during Gorilla Biscuits. Yeah, everybody had been yeah. hearing about it, but out, yeah. yeah. But hadn't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. So for the recording. Okay, so um uh so then um for the recording, yeah. So Okay, then, so Sterling puts you in the band and then you go into the studio with them. Okay, yeah. So what happened was um um the scenario with Alex Alex was, he was not old enough to drive and uh, they would have to drive from, say they've got a show in Orange County. They would have to drive from Orange County to Moreno Valley, which was an hour and 15 drive for them. Okay. Pick up Alex, go back to Irvine, which is another hour and 15 minute drive, play the show. After the show, drive back another hour and 15 minutes to go to Alex's house. By that time, it's like four in the fucking morning. And then... Zach would have to sleep on his floor. And that was the process with Alex. And if you, as you can imagine, that got super old for everybody. Yeah. They would, they would split up between uh, Zach and Sterling would be the guy driving Alex all over the place. So anyways, uh, at a uh, no for an answer practice, uh, Dan and uh, Gavin left and I'm hanging with Sterling. Sterling comes up to me and says, uh, Hey, dude, so you want to be an inside out? You ready to be an inside out? I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Alex is killing it. You guys are fucking rad, dude. What do you need me for? He goes, dude, we're so sick of driving him all over up and down Southern California. We're going to bail him. Like, dude, that's, I don't know, dude. Is that what you really want to do? Yep, it's a done deal. Zach is over it. We want to do this. Okay. So that's how I got an inside out. I've never asked anyone to be in their band. <laughs> I've never had to ask anyone. So, a question people that people asked me to be in their band. Yeah. A question that arose from all this uh, that, that we didn't, I didn't think to ask when we talked to Alex or you know whatever is, how did that affect you guys in Chain of Strength? Because you were still playing in Chain of Strength together. 
And we also just, he also just, and statue. Me, he also just had asked me to be in statue just prior to that happening. Um, like what was that first chain practice like after that happened? He, for the most part, was just a big boy about it and accepted it and moved on. And we just, we just kept moving on. He wanted to focus on statue anyways. You got to understand, Alex is this fucking killer songwriter. Yeah, and he's just, yeah. he wakes up, wakes up, rolls out of his bed and writes two perfect hardcore songs or perfect pop songs. You know, he was, uh, at that point, he'd started writing for Chain as well. And then he's writing for Statue. And then he was, uh, I don't think he made up any guitar riffs in Inside Out, but what he was doing, he was arranging those songs. Okay. Like, like Vic would have this riff, uh, Zach would have this lyric, they'd be trying to put it together, and Alex would kind of be the kid who was like, hey, do this, do this, do this, and it all came together. So he was totally this the glue of what was going on in that bedroom. And um, But... Vic and Zach definitely were coming up with gold, you know? Yeah. So you join Inside Out. How long after you join do you go in the studio and record those songs? Okay, so I joined Inside Out in September of 1989. And then we play, I think, one show with Sterling. Sterling engineered the whole me getting in the band thing. Okay. We play exactly, we play exactly one show with me and Sterling. Sterling calls me up, he goes... Hey, I uh, just want to let you know I'm going to quit. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? You just engineered this totally weird fucking coup on getting Alex out and putting me in. It's like when your friend tells you, come come work with me, and then leaves. Yes. Exactly. I've been yeah. there. Yeah. Thank you. So I'm fucking <laughs> baffled why he wants to leave, and he's like, you know, uh, Zach goes through all these fucking long speeches in between the songs, and and it's getting on my nerves and it's bumming me out and yeah that's what that was, that was great like, he's great sterling is cool man he's he was a funny guy to talk to i enjoyed speaking with him well it made zero sense because the whole charisma of zach is that he can communicate with an audience that well and and get his emotions across that well through uh, what he has to say in between the songs yeah. that's why he went on to be a multi-platinum artist he's able to make that connection with uh with an audience by the things he says in between the songs. Well, that was utter fucking bullshit, you know, but whatever, dude, have fun not being an inside out. He walked away from inside out, dude. And he did, he didn't play in a fucking band ever again. He yeah, walked we, away, we, he we walked did. away from hardcore. We did talk about that. I mean, I looked at it as like when you're a kid, like, and we sort of, you know, and you heard, you heard that part one, like when you're a kid and you're, you make decisions I think even Vic said it. And you make decisions and, and you're not thinking. I mean, you're 18, 19 years old. Like, yeah, you're an adult. But I made a lot of dumb decisions at, at that age. Yeah. And now you can look back filtered through, like, the eyes of an adult. In some cases, the eyes of a, of a parent. And being like, oh, that probably wasn't the smart thing to do. But, like, I can't, you know, I can't, like, uh, begrudge him for, for doing that. Like, I'm sure he's kind of like, oh, man, I would have been great to play on the seven inch or, or what have you. But, you know, it's kind of thing where it it is what it is. It happened. Um, And his reason too was, you know, he mentioned too about the actual specificity of what he was saying in between the songs. And I think he just got upset. So you do those kind of things when you're a kid, but 
So who pulled Hayworth into the mix? Well, to this day, uh, Hayworth is in the inner circle with uh, Zach. He's one of the only maybe three dudes that are in the inner circle with Zach. So he's one of his lifelong very best friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they have a chemistry together. Would those be so, both Hayworth and Brian Chu? Because that's like what it seems yeah, like. The, yeah. They were telling us that's how we needed to get in touch with Zach. Not that I ever saw him saying that he would come on and talk about this stuff. But if uh-huh. there was ever a chance, that would have been our avenue. Well, ever, ever since uh, uh, Inside Out broke up, Zach's made exactly one public statement about Inside Out this entire time. In the anti-matter? So uh, whatever it was where he said, uh, um, I channeled all my pain through that band. That was the first band I fronted. And, uh, I saw ourselves as spirits, um, and didn't want to bow down to a system that, uh, saw us as just another pebble on the beach. That's his entire statement about inside out for this entire time. I have to find so, what yeah. that's from. So mm. going a little off cause we, but we asked everybody else, you being in the band, Mm-hmm. At one point, when when was the last time that you had any contact with him? With Zach? Yeah. Um, every now and then, uh, like years will go by, but every now and then I'll accidentally see him in public and, you know, it's all hugs and we'll talk for days and stuff and just that. But uh, uh, other than that, like I said, he doesn't talk about like maybe three people. Okay. So there, yeah. so we were right in assuming there was no chance in having him come on and talk about this stuff. Absolutely, yeah, zero chance is not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, 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 that this was all me leading up to this, so people can be like, "Yo, we tried." Chris Bratton saying that there's no chance. Stop asking us if we asked. We did everything we could. No, I, I, I wondered if he got. We're going to get Mark because it surprised me that he did the van camp interview my take was the only way I could have seen it happening with Zach is like well now we're in 2021 but I was like it's kind of the most 2020 thing is like the dude doesn't really give interviews but then this like scrub podcast like he comes on and talks about his old band like stranger things have happened but I'm glad to know that we didn't like drop the ball and like oh yeah he would have talked about it if he got in touch with him yeah I tried to get him through um Evan Jacobs sat down with Brian Chu and, and I had spoken to Evan on the phone about it and Evan tried to convince Chu. And then Andrew Rizik, uh reached out to Joey Karam who surfs with Zach and he forwarded an email for me. So that's that. I mean, we, we, we've tried a few avenues. Okay. Well, you tried. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to know? You play about, on, you, uh, sep- so, September okay, so 89, you joined. How long was it between that and the record? Okay, so I joined in uh, September 1989. And then we play a whole bunch of killer shows. And then in January of 1990, we go in and record No Spiritual Surrender record. Six songs total that day. Okay. And that's it. A lot of people are like, more songs were recorded that day. They're unreleased. I'm like, no, there's only six. Only ever was six. And that's it. And we obviously had a bunch more to record, but, you know, time was tight and we're on a budget. So it was just decided it's a seven inch. Let's record six. We later figured out six ain't going to fit. So we had to kill two of them. Okay. I was always wondering why, uh, why that, why those two, cause they're great songs. And also, yeah, it broke my heart can we, can we talk a little about, um, Pendragon? It was chose because yeah. of that nasty. Did they do field day there? 
Okay, check it out. So uh, the story you guys already got from Ryan is um, yeah. Uh, Ryan Ryan bought uh, Ryan Baker's uh, Marshall cabinet off him. Yeah, he told us that in the chain with with, with a, and it had the fucking Dag flame head on the back stencil. Oh, it's it. cool, dude. Oh. And it was also played in Minor Threat too. That's like nice. yeah. The okay, tablets, so, the Moses's tablets for me. <laughs> oh, exactly, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love Dak Nasty so much. Dude, we, we would touch it and it would like energize us, you know? And it was fucking gray <laughs> grills. It looked awesome. So um, when he was talking to him, he goes, hey, so where, where'd where you record that field day record? He's like, oh, Pendragon. And so Ryan was like, uh, you know, we, we didn't like Spot all that much. Spot was cool. Uh, the first record's rad because it kind of has that Ramones thing where it's really dry. Mm-hmm. but we wanted it to sound like fucking age of coral you know we wanted it like huge you know yeah. so ryan, ryan was after a huge studio so we think he'd listen to field day bunch he's like okay killer so this is at pendragon and it's in redondo beach where kind of black flags from killer all right let's go so we jumped in there for chain of strength that's where uh what holds us apart is recorded and then it came out fucking great. So we're like, we love this. Studio. It sounds better than field day recording. I think, oh, I think yeah, the field day absolutely. recording. Arguably it does. <laughs> yeah. And it I does. like the field day record, but it, I don't, yeah. that wouldn't have been my selling point to go to that studio. Man, the what holds those part seven inch, the ones that aren't chain crew, because <laughs> those are the bad mix. Um, <laughs> the, the, the real ones, they sound fucking great. That OG mix is so, so much radder. Yeah. We've talked about that. <laughs> Yeah. And we will again, I promise. Yes, and we will again. (laughs) So we were super stoked on Pendragon. Um, I thought uh, Bill Crodel, even though he was like a rock dude, totally was getting us the tones we wanted. So uh, although he didn't understand hardcore, he was killing it with the tones. So we're more than happy. Went back there for uh, Statue when we were called Something to Say. We recorded... uh, um, what ended up coming out on Ambassador, the five song seven inch. Hold that's on, so also, that's also Pendragon Studio. That sounds great, but it is you said Statue was called something to say. Yeah, Statue hey, is that the name that of the case. CD EP, right? Come yeah. on, Jay, do your so, homework. Come on, do your homework. <laughs> I apologize. I just know the Ambassador CD and those songs rip. That's all I got. Yeah, yeah. I'm just messing. If you held a gun, I, I knew it now. But if you held a gun to my head before, you, I I would have forgotten. So. Okay. By the time Ryan put it out, we were already statue, so we just called it statue, and then we titled the record something to say. Yeah. Okay. But we were we were originally called something to say. So when we recorded that record, that was at Ambassador, that was at a uh, Pendragon Studio, and that's one of my favorite recordings I've ever done. That thing yeah. came out fucking killer. It Ryan did like the, But check it out. Now, Ryan did the worst mix ever on it for his Ambassador thing. He did that without me and Alex being there. I was on tour with Bull, okay. and he. He spent seriously like an hour on it. It's, it's fucking garbage. I mean, you guys might like it because you're used to it, but wait till you hear the remix I did on it to put it back to how it was supposed to be. I'd it love just to. Sound, who's going to put? Who's going? You going to put that yourself? No, I love no. statue. Where's Rev? Fuck no! It's going to be. It's going to be a deluxe reissue on Rev where it's um the the filter the infection four songs and the uh, something to say awesome. uh, seven inch five songs. So it'll be a nine song. 12 inch on red yeah. Yeah, yeah that thing's gonna be fucking killer but it's all mixed and everything sounds rad cool anyway so um pendragon was the shit something to say recorded january uh 22nd of 1990 and then 
three fucking days later, we go in and record No Spiritual Surrender with Inside Out at the same Whoa. studio. Yeah. Wow. Just three days in between those two recordings. I could have left my kit set up, you know? And, and uh, so we go into uh, Pen Dragon, Inside Out, and Vic is like fucking, um, he's got this, this notepad and it's all, all in fucking code, like some, some uh, um, Lord of the Rings Gandalf shit. <laughs> and, or, or no it's more like it's more like the led zeppelin 4 that gatefold record where it's where it's the fucking wizard you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah so he's like jimmy page is the old wizard right he's got this notebook with all these hieroglyphics on it and what it is it's three separate guitar tracks all mapped out meticulously that he'd spent months on how he was going to lay down all his guitar tracks and it was all like interlocking and this this part does this and it layers into this way and it interlocks over here. So we're like dying to hear what the fuck he's going to do here layering all these guitars. So he laid all that shit down. Um, we we were super tight when we went in there. Um, that that shot you see on the cover of uh, No Spiritual Surrender of Zach. Yeah. That was... 20 days exactly before we recorded that record. Okay. Just rad trivia there. Yeah. Fun fact. Fun fact. Who's Mikey? So, huh? My, that's Mikey. Mikey Fast Break. Yeah. Yeah. No, on the photo, on the photo of this yeah, cover that looks awesome. Yeah. It's scratched. Yeah. Someone scratched Mikey in there. Yeah. And we were wondering who that <laughs> was and why that's on there. I the cover looked like Zach had a giant hand. Like the, the, well, he's the, uh, the camera, perspective know? yeah it looks like he's Optical got this illusion. like massive hand yeah so um um we record because we we're super tight we record those songs they're all first and second takes it was okay. really really easy to lay that down and then it's uh Vic did some of his shit and it's time for zach to do his vocals right and um I don't know if you ever heard the Mike Judge story about when he first did his vocals and he was very self-conscious and he had the lights all turned off. Yes. Yeah. Anyone familiar with that story? I don't, yeah. know if Zach, I don't know if Zach had heard that, but as he was trying to lay down his vocals, it was going nowhere. And he goes, hey, can we turn off all the lights? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. He was totally not feeling the peanut gallery, watching him try to do these emotional vocals. Yeah. So once we turned off all the lights, then you know, the possession happened, you know, just, he was just uh, pulling out so much emotion and, and so much rawness and he had so much pain and anger to get out and it was just like spilling, you know? Yeah. So he destroyed and it was awesome. You know? So that was, that was the vocals. And then uh, at that point um, that was when uh, the engineer was like, say, yo, so do you want to take home mix? Do you want a cassette to take home? And that's when he mixed it up for us. That mix sounds fucking great, and we took that's that the home. Vic, that's the Vic Dakara, the one we're referring to as the Vic Dakara uh, director's Re- cut. cut. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. But that's what that's what exists that everyone wants to hear, and that Vic wishes was actually the record. It got it got mixed for real by Bill Crodel and Inside Out, and a couple weeks later, whatever it was, and then it's ready to go, right? And then um, Inside Out went up to Seattle played some killer shows and played a bunch of some shows in Irvine. And then, uh, um, was then the Seattle had, show that one that ended up being in a garage or something with, yeah, uh, the, Ron the Brotherhood sh- did. 
the one show was at like a fire department uh had some sort of like club stage you could play at and that show was fucking killer and then um and then the other show got canceled and it got moved to a garage and that's one of the best shows i've ever played in my life yeah we all we all thought that show was just incredible there's a bunch of photos from that show online actually yeah yeah, yeah you can see it online you can yeah. see how how tight everyone was in that garage and everyone's yep, yep. back and it was great huh? it's like perfect hardcore show and then so we do another changeover i'm out al's back in and they go on the krishna tour so how did that happen you being out then and al back? so we heard we know that they you know had wanted um Alex but, this, but this but this is months later so we recorded in in january of 1990 and then may 1990 five months later then i'm out and um uh me and zach just weren't say, seeing eye to eye and shit and there was some personal shit and so he uh hard stance had done a reunion at one of our shows okay. and and got an enormous amount of love at that show in irvine okay and and I think it kind of lit a light bulb off in uh, Zach's head, like, yeah, I want to get Al back on drums. So the changeover happened. They put Al back in, and then they went on uh, the Krishna tour, you know, which was a uh, shelter, quicksand, and inside out. And then they did all those shows. And then you got the whole story. Vic was uh, uh, ushered out of inside out the be- what was going to be the biggest band in hardcore by the next year. You got pulled out of that band and put in shelter which seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, you know, we're both Krishna. We should both be in this Krishna band, which makes sense on paper. But the reality was they didn't really have good chemistry, Ray and Vic together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he as, talks as, about as that. players. Yeah. And yeah, you guys, covered, you guys in, covered all that. Yeah. In this book. Yeah. You know, I, I, I mentioned on part on the first part and, you know, I think even talking to Tim before uh, you, you hopped in, it's like, you know, there's, I think in, in music and especially hardcore, there's a lot of those what ifs, like what if, what if inside out stayed together with Vic, but it's who knows because we got like, because they didn't, we got some great shelter seven inches that he was on. We got one Oh eight who I friggin' love. Yeah, uh, and we got rage band. against the machine who were a uh, friggin' love who are one of my favorite bands. So yeah. it's kind of like what would have happened? I don't know. You know, and then we got like statues. Well, I, well, I do, well, I do want to say um, there's a popular misconception that Tom Morello brought the hip hop angle in to Rage Against the Machine, which is absurd because he's a metal kid, you know. Right. Um, Inside Out had the hip hop meets hardcore meets like commercial bad brains, eye against eye, like stuff that can be on the radio. That mm-hmm. was all worked out from the get-go and inside out i think i think the minute like i was telling you he saw richie underdog having all these elements i think that was the moment he knew that it was going to be rap hardcore pop yeah and w- like i said um zach was into um bdp boogie down productions he was into yeah. nwa um he was into lynch mob um he was already had the rap rock thing mapped out and we have a song called Empty Days that sounds very much a lot like Rage Against the Machine. And it's got kind of hip hop flavored vocal uh, uh, vocal uh, rhythms in that. It, it was all well underway even when I was in the band. But um, once, uh, once Alex gets out of the band, um, they get Joey Force down on drums. 
and they have yeah this uh, is like the lost era for me like i feel like anything after that um after the uh the the inside out shelter quicksand like vic quitting yeah to me that's the end of inside out well it is it is and it isn't if when vic's not in inside out it's not inside out that's straight up the truth all of us agree all three of those guys me we all agree that um but what did happen in that 91 version of Inside Out, which is important, and Sonny Singh has documented this, they wrote Darkness of Greed and Rage Against the Machine. Mm-hmm. Now right. that song, Rage Against the Machine, that's an Inside Out song. Mm-hmm. And then the a- album they were about to record was going to be called Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. And the cover artwork for that album that was going to be called Rage Against the Machine was The Monk on Fire. On Fire, yeah. Okay. And that was supposed to be Ebel... Abolition that records, had that right? Planned out for Inside Out because people were saying that we we you know we didn't get to touch on the fact that Kent McClard was supposed to do the LP with Ebullition. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. that was a sore 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 spot for Kent McClard. Zach had promised he was he was going to let Kent McClard put out the seven inch, and then when Revelation got wind of it, and then they got involved, Zach dropped the Kent McClard angle and went for Rev and and. Kent was very bitter about that and probably still is. Do you think I would have been pissed? And then check it out to make, to make matters worse. Uh, there was the article in, in no answers fanzine. It was an op-ed article that he, that Kent wrote just about society and shit and, and just regular like maximum rock and roll type topics. And the title of that article he wrote was rage against the machine. Right. Mm. He coined that, you know. So he coined the term and Zach lifted that and used that for Inside Out for a song and for the title of the album. And then ultimately for the title of his next band, the name of the next band. And Kent's really bitter about that, that he never gave him any credit for that. But So oh well. do you do you <laughs> think that there's any um, validity then that the Santa Barbara contingent put out the... Uh, Revelation can suck it record to kind of get back at Revelation about that because I've heard that it's um, one of the guys from Sucker Punch and then Kent was involved in that as well. Sure, M- makes sense. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know either way, but it makes sense. But, Tim, what do you uh, think about that? I, I don't know. I'd, I'd never heard that before. I, yeah. I just thought there was a there was a general you know, dislike for Revelation Records or Revelation, you know, record collecting colored vinyl and yeah. and all the hype that was going on with Revelation at the time. Um, but, so but, I, I just I just thought it was a rebuttal to, to that. Like, yeah, you guys want to spend $300 on a record? Right. Fuck it, we'll just, we'll just bootleg it and you can buy it for whatever, whatever, ten bucks, whatever, bucks, ten yeah. bucks whatever. Yeah, it seems yeah. like as whenever something's super popular, there's always going to be that group of people that's like, why this is overhyped. I mean, you know, we mentioned before uh, about like reading the Nemesis records book mm-hmm. and even like in there, like Nemesis, like Frank was kind of like, there was bands that we had that were just as good as bands on, on revelation, but because they weren't on revelation, um, you know, they didn't necessarily get the the push that they would have gotten on revelation. And that still happens now that's that's, that's that's good branding you know yeah Revel- revelation is like the fucking motown of uh youth crew you know they i like they that have, they had excellent branding you know yeah it, it, was, it was like our very own discord you know for, agreed for, that's for why we're right. i mean 
That's why we yeah. thought to do this podcast. Yes, thank you for doing this. You know, that's that's what what should happen. A excellent documentary on 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 the excellent branding of a Revelation Records. Yeah, so, thank you, Chris. After you exit the band and you see them start, you know, doing stuff, how soon after you left did the actual seven inch come out? So that's what's weird. Like there's this big lag, like we recorded it in January of 1990 and then it just sits around forever. And then they do that Christian tour the summer of 1990. And then I guess shit was getting put together, uh, fall of 1990, but the record's still not fucking out. Yeah. And even though it says 1990 on it, I think it actually came out in February of 91. So yeah, there's a, that was what we'd heard as well. There's over a year lag in that record coming out but you know sometimes that happens what old is the part took forever to put out too but um because that happened um once it was out all of a sudden it's a whole different band and zach was just uh desperately trying to figure out a band to go tour this awesome record but there was no legit band at that point do you know how many shows it had turned into a tribute band so the 91 version yeah yeah. Okay, so 91 version, there's this huge lag in between like when Mike Down was the guitar player and played only two shows before he got fired because ironically he couldn't play that gallop rhythm. Zach yeah, we, like, t- we talked about that. We that, did like, talk yeah, about that. Bands yeah, cover exactly. Inside yeah. Out and they can't do that. Yeah. I mean, Vic is so you, fucking so amazing. That's, the, that's <laughs> the number one criteria if you're going to be an Inside Out guitar player. Can you play that gallop rhythm? And Mike Town couldn't do it, so he had to go. He only played two shows, and he's out. And then uh, uh, I think they had Andy Alvarez for one or two shows from Push to Side, and he didn't work out. And then there's this huge lag where I don't think anything was happening. And then I think they've that's like, uh, say, like January of 91, through maybe like uh, April of 91, there's like no activity. And then I think they finally get microsis from head first. And so they're ready to play and they play two shows back to back in a two week period at the same club. You've probably seen the flyers. And although everyone was still super pumped on inside out and they're playing shows and they're still poised to be the biggest fan in hardcore, Zach wasn't feeling it anymore because Mike wasn't really bringing it. And if you look in those videos, Mike's a great guitar player, but he doesn't go off. One of the prerequisites for being an inside out, you have to fucking go off. You know, that's what the name means. You're going to get all this pain inside you out. So if you can't like telegraph your pain, get the fuck off the stage, you know? I mean, Vic is big shoes to fill, I think. Um, Vic is is absolutely irreplaceable. And it was, the, it was it was a it was a fool's errand to try and keep that band going without Vic Sterling. I, I think it was Sterling. Well, and Alex, they were both saying that something about Zach and and Vic clicked immediately, at least on a musical level. Like they, I'll tell, I'll tell you this: that the entire Inside Out story is the chemistry between Zach and Vic. Like I was saying, I wasn't all that impressed with Zach as a singer. I didn't think it was about to light the world on fire when I saw the one show we played with him the very first show they played. But what happened was when they brought Vic into the equation, Vic was so on fire. He made Zach have to up his game tremendously overnight. Makes sense. Like in yeah. two seconds. I think, I think he lit such a huge fire under Zach. And so the inside out story is the magic of those two's chemistry. It's, it's fucking Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. 
Yeah, it's you know it's, I mean? it's just a shame that we didn't get proper recordings of um, in any iteration, like of with those guys playing um, of all the other stuff, because it, I just think it would have been absolutely incredible. Well, there's there's millions of video online to see that version of the band and hear it. Yeah. And there's versions of my my uh, era in the band are online. You can look at those, too. I think me and Alpine were the two uh, uh, two of the best drummers in Southern California at that point. And I think. Oh, yeah. I think it's ridiculous to try and say who's better. You know, we're both these killer fucking drummers. And it's kind of like. You know, Circle Jerks had uh, Lucky Lair was the drummer on the first two albums. Mm-hmm. And he's just, Lucky Lair was like the best drummer in SoCal at that point. Like everybody worships that guy, right? Yeah. But then but then Keith wasn't getting along with him and he kicks him out. But who does he get? Fucking Chuck Biscuits, dude. Biscuits, from DLA. Yeah. And Biscuits fucking annihilated in that band. But they're both awesome. Circle yeah. Jerks had two fucking killer drummers and inside out's the same thing, you know. Why why does one gotta be better than the other? Who cares? Yeah. The inside out was blessed to have two killer drummers. Yeah, well it's very it's, true. I think about with, with chain of strength, like even just like the the amount of talent that you guys have in, in that oh, yeah. band with statue oh, yeah. and I mean Alex and just for being so young, um and and I always say like there's a reason that and and Alex did mention this. There's a reason that you and Alex kind of had a, a career. You know, we we laughed about Smalley saying a career, but you had a career beyond hardcore. You know, he played in real bands that you know uh, played in to huge audiences. You played with with like Wool, and you know had a were on a major label and all that. So it's like you guys are both just super talented. Two talented guys in one band that can switch instruments at the drop of a hat probably holy yeah yeah it was uh, me alex and frosty all got to go on and have major label careers and have these like yeah frosty huge, too huge budget records like it was dude the during the nirvana gold rush they, they were giving so much money away it would blow your mind like i was in this band called other star people with uh uh jennifer finch from l7 okay you know that band that grunge band yeah, yeah, l7 yep yep Jason said we you drummed for, for yeah, them. Yeah, on Discogs, it said that you played on an L7 record. That's what I said. I, I also was a session drummer on an L7 record for three or four songs, yeah, because uh, okay. D, was, D was in a rehab. Okay, uh, cool. So, yeah, they brought me in, yeah. So, um, uh, we were other star people signed to AM, uh, which got overtaken by uh, uh, Interscope in the big uh, label changeover at the end of the 90s. Yeah. Okay. Remember when everybody was buying out everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, dude, we had a fucking half a million dollar record deal. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then who was in that band? It was you, Jennifer Finch, me, Jennifer Finch and two unknowns. And it was two girls and two dudes. And it, it sounded just like, you know, the killers. It was just like rad ass, like power new wave, you know, okay. it was okay. just super commercial, like two thousands era stuff, but being done in like, we started in 95 and then we're done by like uh, 2001, I think. Okay. So we just just missed the era of where we were supposed to be. Like 2002 is when all those bands got on the radio. Yep. I was just going to say, you, you missed yeah, it. Yeah, we just missed it. Like, totally stupid, you know? Hey, I got a question. Now, how was the tour with Rage Against the Machine that Wool opened? I wasn't in the band yet, but. Okay. Yeah. Zach, that was Zach Pete Moffat, yeah. right? Yeah, that was Pete Moffat from Government Issue. 
Okay. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. Um, another band with two killer drummers. Uh, I was in that band. And yeah. Off, it was never, yeah. He was, yeah. I awesome. love, love him on drums. Um, yeah, that was before I was in the band. But what was rad was Zach during the early rage era was trying to hook up his friends. He loved scream tremendously. They're a huge influence on inside out and Zach and personally, you know, so he, uh, he had, uh, uh, wool play on a bunch of raid shows That's in awesome. Europe. Mm-hmm. And then he yeah. hooked up, uh, he's the hugest soul side fan ever. So he hooked up girls against boys on some shows. That's right. And Cause I think there's a picture of him singing along the soul side. There too. is for sure. Yeah. 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 Which you can, and that it, played into rage against the machine too. That soul sides vibe. Holy dude, dude. Uh, Bobby Sullivan with his dreads, dude. <laughs> that's that's like <laughs> that. That was like another map for Zach. Like, yeah, there. There's how I need to be. That dude up there with those dreads and Richie Underdog. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Richie hey, Underdog on one hand, Bobby Sullivan on the other hand. Yeah, Chris did. But, did but, but, didn't Soulside play that first chain show? Yeah, Soulside's on that bill. They did. Yeah, Justice League was super good friends with Soulside, so they right. happened to be coming through. So they were totally on. So he did. He had he had Richie and and Bobby at that same show. At the same show, yeah, just yeah. totally showing him his future path right there. Right. Um, but but uh, Zach also really liked uh, Grill Biscuits. Was a big deal for him. You know, he's got a hold your ground tattoo, really tiny. Whoa! Does he really? A tiny, like homemade prison tat, like a little banner holder. That's even cooler. <laughs> yeah. So when he was in Rage, he fully hooked up Quicksand on a bunch of shows. So early on, early on in Rage Against the Machine, he was he was trying to reach out his hand and pull up some hardcore dudes minimally, but he actually got it done, you know. So, um, and we asked the other guys. So, Rage Against the Machine album comes out. Well, even before that, they had they had a demo. What was your thoughts when you first heard the Rage Against the Machine stuff? Were you like, well, uh, like, like like I was saying earlier? So, Rage had the song Rage Against the Machine. Rage had their album was going to be called Rage Against the Machine. Uh, the cover of the album was going to be the monk burning mm-hmm. for inside out. And Zach, uh, took all that and he took the inside out toolbox and all those weapons and handed them to rage against the machine. Those were all our property. You know? So, uh, we all recognize that immediately. Hey, there's the monk on fire. Hey, there's our, there's our typewriter font. Yeah. Uh, that was a Vic, that was a yeah. Vic specialty. Yeah, total Vic created by Vic. And then there's a you're gonna call your band Rage Against the Machine, that's ours. <laughs> and then uh it, it was just kind of weird to see all that get handed to Tom Morello and and he gets to run with that. But um Rage is obviously a fucking genius band and deserved everything they got. You know, they're tight as fuck, knew exactly what they're doing, and were able to write super commercial pop songs that were influenced by Eye Against Eye. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, especially well that done. first. Well done. Metal. You know? <laughs> yeah, especially that first record. I think is like it's. I mean, I like all their stuff, but I that first record. Every fucking Rage record is the greatest record. Yeah, they, I, they have, I agree. They have, no, they have no bad records. I mean, the covers record is what broke them up because they disagreed on so much shit on that. Everything just went haywire on that record. But all three of their studio albums are the shit. They're like flawless. You know, Sleep Now in the Fire. That's on fucking rules, dude. Yeah. And that's so late in the game for them. Chris, did you happen to catch any of the 1993 reunion shows? I did not. I boycotted those. I was super bummed that they'd done it without 
Vic number one, uh-huh. and they done it without me or Al on drums. Number two, I was like, "This is so insulting." You're gonna go try and do the tribute band vibe again from like the Microsis era. Fuck, lame dudes. But um, it was kind of cool because Rob Hayworth kind of finally got to have some uh, recognition for being an Inside Out, you know, and get documented. Would- if would they you had have done, done it? If they hadn't done those shows, Rob would have never got documented as a one of the Inside Out guitar players. Would you have done it, Chris, if they had asked? Fuck yeah. It's would fucking it. Zach D, dude. With or without? With with Vic? Or what you would have done if it without tried, Vic? If he tried to do it with me without Vic, I don't I don't know if I would have done that. Yeah. I would I would have I would have definitely twist his arm to no, we gotta wait until we can get Vic. Vic was uh, buried in the temple at that point, though. Right. Um, yeah, they called I'd Philly. I'd, I'd, and, uh, I'd, always, I'd always heard they tried to call him. I don't know if I even believe that scenario, but I, I want to believe that they tried to call him, but they didn't try very hard because Vic was there and he would have done it. Vic was super bummed they did that without him. So I don't think they tried very hard. D- different, different era, you know, like now we have social media and cell phones and and all that kind of stuff email then it was just a landline you know that was yeah. the only way to reach out to him so yeah and supposedly by the time they reached out on the temple he was Roger Kishore so yeah. if someone didn't know and they said is Vic Dakar there they'd say oh, who's that we don't know who that is yeah. so yeah. It's, it's it's definitely plausible but again I mean the only person that would know that is Zach because he's the one that supposedly did it so yeah Unless we can get Zach on the show to ask him. The, yeah. the timeline makes sense because, like, we, we mentioned, too, in, in part one, is, like, Rage Against the Machine didn't immediately blow up. Like, they were just, like, I, don't I mean, they about, were pop- I don't know about I don't know about that whole theory. That by they the they didn't, though. By the time, but no, by the time they were on that tour, that first tour that they did that went on forever, they were a platinum band. Yeah, but the record came, you figure the record came November 92, like I think <laughs> election day. And like, I don't think it went platinum for a year. I mean, I'm not saying they were small. On their first tour, it went platinum, put it that way. So, so they, like when they played Philly, it was a little that, like. That's I, overnight I, success, you know. Yeah. yeah. It, takes, it takes years to sell 100,000 records. Yeah. Yeah. But I do believe, like, it makes sense that in 93 summer, mm-hmm. that it was plausible that he showed up and, and sang the song. And Vic wrote it in his, in his book, too. And it's kind of like, you know, I mean, I, I don't see any reason at that point to, you know, fabricate well, that, or whatever. But I would love to see that's, video. That's dope, that it, that's dope if it happened. I'd love to see some video. Yeah, so would I. Chris, when you pick up yeah. the seven-inch now in... 2020 2021 mm-hmm. like what what do you how do you feel about it um i know that vic we talked to him about the he he wasn't super into the colors of it but just overall like you know how do you feel about your your part in making I, seven inch i was totally baffled why all of a sudden it's like blue that was never our color scheme we we're always a black and white band um as as rage first record was so that that was totally out of the blue like huh who let that happen Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, what the world doesn't know which sucks um, we were talking about the lag between the record being done and mixed by Bill Crodel at Pendragon and then it coming out like a year later sometime I think on the on the Krishna tour uh, they went into um, 
Don Fury and had Don Fury remix it. Yeah, so Vic what you're hearing said, on the Vic said it. He, he thinks it was Walter and Don Fury together. I I don't know. Vic had Vic somewhere heard some rumor that it was Walter, and then uh, Jordan hit up Walter to ask him if that was true or not, and Walter denied it. He said, uh. "Man, I'd I'd love to have that on my resume, but that never <laughs> and I I don't I don't know if he was." saying he didn't remix it, but he was actually in the studio and maybe making some comments that might've happened. But regardless, Don Fury remixed it. And what you hear is the Don Fury remix. So that's very different than Vic's take home cassette, mm-hmm. but way different. Yeah. But uh, I think Don Fury did a fucking killer job on it. Yeah. You ever put that album on a, a CD and crank it up fucking loud? Oh yeah. Dude, yes. Sacrifice Sacrifice is one of the heaviest tracks I've ever been involved in in my entire life. Oh, you know, that was first, my track. Those first hits of Sacrifice are just like nuclear bombs, dude. That it doesn't get much better than that. And you know, I'm super proud of of how that came out. So, I think the Dom Phoenix is awesome. And I yeah, I, I, agree. Think, I think most people in hardcore do too. They don't know the difference. They don't know how it's supposed to sound, you know. So Chris yeah. and and Tim, since yeah. you're both here, you know we do hot tracks on this show, which is when you talk about hot your favorite, favorite song on the record, um, yeah. or we pro- also proposed it to the other members of Inside Out. Maybe your favorite track that didn't make the record. So whatever your favorite Inside Out song was, record or not record, let's hear it. Tim, why don't you go first? Okay, real quick, I just did my hot track. My hot track is Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Now, Sacrifice also is the purest example of the chemistry between me and Vic. Like, uh, we wrote that song together. That's that's one of the songs that was written in my era. And I'm super proud of that song. So that's totally my uh, No Spiritual Surrender hot track is Sacrifice. Okay, Tim, you're up. Yeah, you know, it's it's crazy because I listened to the – the first episode and everybody uh nobody mentioned sacrifice at all and sacrifice is my ultimate favorite oh i did, that song I did as well. at the end I, that was my hot yeah. track. oh okay i that's didn't just, finish proud it. Of you, Greg. Yeah. but but <laughs> i yeah i fucking love that song i love the lyrics of that song you yeah, know if the bottom if the bottom so falls out of your life you turn around and i'm not there i mean it's just incredible it's yeah. it's that so good still raises the hairs on the back of my head when i hear it you know what's yes. funny is I was Same afraid to, I was almost afraid to bring it up because I thought oh, I'm gonna seem like a poser because it's on the CT. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Like, like that's still the thought I have. Like that actually then, makes you cooler because you had all of the songs and not yeah, just it's, four. It's a little I bit think, of a different I think, track. I, yeah. I think most people had the CD really because you know the '90s is the era that Inside Out really exists in. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The cardboard slipcase CD. Yep, yeah, that's the first that slipcase. But it's all about the jewel case one. In fact, my friend, uh, my friend of the pod, uh, my friend, old friend Joe Golf, uh, bit at Bo Joe Golf. He commented and he said this was the era of the CD slipcase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was I refer to those as business cards. Yeah, it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely cool. So that's good. Hey, like, like, like my band, <laughs> you can have this. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, yeah, before we wrap it up, uh, Chris, do you have anything else to add about Inside Out? Any other burning? I mean, you covered a lot of ground here and gave us some real insight 
but is there anything else that you want to plug in there? Um, you got me. What other questions do you have? What other uh, kind of mysteries can I clear up? I think we yes. covered, I think we yeah. covered it all. Yeah. And but we want to have you back, uh, to talk chain yes. and to talk statue. For sure. For sure. And, yeah. and yeah. um, I would like, <laughs> I need, <laughs> I need to be the, the new Pat Flynn and I'm going to need a way to punish you about wolves. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, dude, I, um, wool was Jason knows. Jason's got the face. He's like, he said he wasn't going to ask, but he's doing. It. Oh no, 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 <laughs> no, no. It's fine. Cause I was just like, but you know, not on, on the, on the pod, but I, I would love to ask you cause I'm a, I'm a massive fan of scream. Yeah. Rev and, 35. You guys can sit down and do a live stream about just about wool. Yeah. Here, here's a here's a little tidbit for you right now, Greg, cause it involves Zach at our release party. We did for wool box set. Uh-huh. which is the album that I'm on. Um, we did it in LA at a club called Dragonfly and we're, uh, Dave Grohl was in town, right? And one time, uh, do you know that band, The Obsessed? Oh yeah. 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 yeah Cause okay, their, so. their major label album came out around the same time. Uh, oh yeah. They were, ki- they were killing it at that point. Right. So, um, that's a great, uh, their bass player at that point was Guy Pinhouse from France. And he was, uh, in the scream family, like deep in the scream family. He'd done, a couple tours filling in for Skeeter when he was AWOL. And so he knew the screen set and Dave Grohl was in town. So what we had planned for everyone, a surprise was during the wool set, there was going to be a scream mini set. So a scream reunion mini set with Dave Grohl on drums and Guy on bass. And because that was happening and Zach was there, I pulled Zach aside. And remember screams one of Zach's favorite bands. So I pulled Zach aside and I go, dude, human behavior you got to sing co-lead vocals with Pete on that song. And he was like, Oh dude, I'm scared. (laughs) He got all nervous. He started shaking shit. He's like, dude, I can't do it. I'm like, yeah, you can fucking nut up dude and do this. It's going to be awesome. And, and I took a, took a minute to talk him into it. And then he finally goes, all right, fuck you, man. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And we got all, we got each other all super pumped. And then there's video of it too. Fucking video exists of it. So Zach D gets up and that feedback starts. Franz does that killer feedback. And Zach does the intro. I look in mirrors and I look in your eyes. Oh man. (laughs) I look for the answers, but I still don't understand why. And it was so fucking rad. And Zach just went berserk because he was singing with his hero, dude. This is, like, this is like Christmas for me. I mean, I, yeah, that's why I want to tell you the story. I, I did. I did see there was footage of um, you in wool at like MTV, but I can't yeah. find it anymore. You were you were getting interviewed, <laughs> yeah. and then oh, while I have you about, about wool, did those dudes know like Chain of Strength and Inside Out? Like, is that how they tapped you, or did you just try out through like a mutual friend? Like, yo try out for this band pete moffitt's you know out or whatever i try you know that you know that uh stoner rock band nebula yeah yeah okay, you know, and you know fu manchu yep. yeah of course okay so, Hill and uh uh um i'm spacing on his name right now but he played bass for uh mark absher he played bass for uh um pre fu manchu was this band called virulence that was like super blast uh, little brothers yeah you know? southern lord i yes. think uh put out a reissue of their stuff right, right. 
So he played in that band and he played in Nebula, right? And he was super good friends with Justice League. So I, I was just moved to LA um, and uh, I was at a show and he came up to me. He's like, hey, dude, what's up? Yeah. Hey, um, Wool uh, kicked out their drummer, Pete Moffat. I'm like, what? That guy rules. He goes, yeah, they had to kick him out. So um, yeah, they're, they're doing tryouts and shit. You should try out for him. I'm like, rad. Okay, cool. And then I kind of spaced and didn't really pursue it. And then Mark from Justice League, like a month later, saw me at a show. And Mark, uh, Mark Maxi. Yeah, Mark Maxi. Oh yeah, Bitabo Mark, online Bitabo. friend of mine. Yeah. Yep, Bitabo Mark and Justice League. So he uh, he goes, hey, uh, uh, I heard Mark told you about Wool. Didn't you go try out? I go, nah. I kind of spaced on. He goes, dude, you're totally blowing it. They still haven't found a drummer, and they've tried out like a million drummers. You should go try out. I'm like, um, okay. And so I took it a little more seriously at that point and uh, got the number from Mark Absher. Cold called them, you know, and they said, yeah, come up to the house. We want to interview you and stuff. And so I got up to the house and I said, uh, they go, so what are you into? I go, well, I'm into the damned and MC5. And they're like, all right, we need to practice. (laughs) So So I went and tried out for them and, uh, we did a whole series of tryouts and they're still trying out all these dudes. Like the guy who ends up in uh, Eagles of death metal got rejected. The guy, Kelly Scott from failure got rejected. You know, that band failure. Oh, yeah. I fucking love they're, failure. They're, yeah. They're kind of like Los Angeles's quicksand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That guy, that guy fucking rules and they rejected him. And so I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, I guess I beat out 30 drummers and they finally got me. Oh, wow. So you're yep. on the box set album, and Correct. are you on anything and, else? And everything, and everything after box. Set. So like the, that unreleased thing that came because I'm looking for box set on on vinyl. I'm messaging someone on Discogs as we speak to see if yep. it's any that's, pictures. That's all me. That's um, all me too. Because I love that record, but like I mean, right. Scream, Scream is like Pete Stahl is one of my biggest vocal influences for uh, like yeah. singing hardcore because he's just the best, and I loved you know Goat Snake well, and all Pete, that. Pete's Pete Stahl's the fucking Sam Cooke of hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. He just has this sweet, sweet voice and just enough grit to it to be, to be power, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He, and that's he another is, band that I just think all-time death singers. is yeah. just a, a group of super talented people getting together. Like Skeeter's an amazing bass player. Oh, yeah. Uh, Franz is an incredible guitar player. Kent Stacks was a great drummer. Then they replaced him with Dave Grohl, who's a great right. drummer. Kent Stacks fucking rules, man. He was coming with all those, all those roles that were like swing roles, you know? It just was like making the song swing, you know? And uh, Kent had told me like, yeah, dude, after uh, Still Screaming came out, all of a sudden Minor Threat uh, had to up their game and get a little more classic rock. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, oh, man. all that Jeff Nelson drumming all of a sudden had all these weird swing roles in it and stuff, and that was down to Kent Stacks. Like, Scream just had enormous impact on all the heavy hitters in DC. Yeah, I know they they seem like Scream. It seemed like the West Coast people are more into Scream. Like Uniform Choice, I know we're super influenced oh, by them. Yeah, you, worship. You know, yeah. you guys, and uh, they it, it feels like they don't get as much love here. And they should, and uh, I hope to get well, they, to see them. They they uh, yeah, still play. Yeah, it's weird they don't get the kind of love they should as a classic hardcore band. It's yeah. totally bizarre. You know that that first album's 
18 songs and every one of them is a total fucking catchy classic, you know? Oh, yeah. And this side off straight. 18 fucking songs. It could have been two albums, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you for indulging me in that. I needed to. Sure. But yeah, I might, I'm going to still, in, I'm gonna yeah. still need to uh, probably we punish you about more yeah, stuff. You'll have to find a way to get in touch with you. We but can do that. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's all I got, guys. Yeah, I think man. this was great. Yeah, Chris yeah. and Tim, thanks so much for joining us on this episode. We're just saying thanks for, uh, for showing up and for uh, helping us out with this and for all of your support, Tim, on the oh, podcast. No but problem. Ha- was, happy to do it. It's cool Tim. to see you guys. Tim, I got a question for you that I asked yeah. Greg and Hav. Would you rather yeah. have an LP's worth of Youth Today Disengaged Style songs, second Gorilla Biscuits LP, or the Inside Out Rage Against the Machine LP? Oh, man. <laughs> um, did we did we ask that was that on, re- Boy, that, on recording that's that, a did yeah. question yeah, yeah. To, to, uh, <laughs> I, I, I gotta go with the youth of today uh, that's what i, I thought he was saying i gotta go i, I gotta that. go out of here i can't <laughs> answer this <laughs> yeah i said that too i think uh yeah i have to go with the youth i mean youth today is my my all-time favorite band so uh, you know I, I gotta i gotta stay loyal i justified but, um, i justified my answer of inside out by saying that Youth, because Youth of Today is my favorite hardcore band that doesn't have uh, HR, Doctor No, Daryl, or uh, Earl <laughs> in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Vic would have a hard time picking one of those guys out of a lineup. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> you didn't hear that part. But um, like, so Youth of Today, you'd think like that's the given answer. Like, of course you're going to say Youth of Today. But I love as much as I would love to hear an album like that. I just think there's the the mystery around inside out and the, all those unreleased tracks. Yeah. yeah. Like Porcel kind of even said, you know, like we talked about on part one is like the youth of today, seven inch was a nice little like book end to their uh, tenure as a band. It was very like salad days. Like this is our last seven inch. It was like posthumous. So I go inside out LP. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't go wrong with that. You, you can't go wrong with real, really any of those decisions. Well, th- think about it. You've had to subsist on six songs for 30 years here when there's actually 19. Yeah. That's yeah. So Whereas crazy. Like, they have a bunch of other songs that I can be like, what? well, I, I got this inside out. It's such a small, it's like the same what thing is, as like a burn. I would have loved a burn LP in 1992. Check this out. One of the best songs we wrote in my era was deathbed. Mm. and deathbed and inside out version was written by the music was written by zach and the lyrics were written by vic Mm -hmm. but before there was any lyrics zach zach would call me up and have an acoustic guitar and be super amped and be like hey yo i just wrote this song let me play it to you let me play it to you and he'd play this uh acoustic guitar and it, it sounds like kind of dc but it's super melodic and he'd start singing over it and what people don't realize Zach has this fucking great melodic voice. Zach could have been. I, a I said, I said that Zach sings a lot more on that record than I initially realized. It's everybody talks about his scream and how passionate it was, but like, yeah. it's it's very melodic on that record. I think. Yeah, I, th- I think I think he has this whole other side of him that's way more melodic that people don't give credit to because mm-hmm. in, Inside Out gets thought of sometimes as this band that started metalcore or whatever. And, and yeah, it, being able to hear, hear Zach play me those songs just uh, in a MTV unplugged setting, if you will, you know, acoustic guitar mm-hmm. and him singing me those songs over the phone. It was just so incredibly fucking powerful. 
You know, I, I actually I have I have some photos I have to show you guys of it's it's Vic and Zach sitting on a bed and Zach is playing an acoustic guitar. It was oh, a yeah. it was one of those like boiling point pictures. So probably oh, wow. Dennis or something was hanging out at that point and yeah and 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 you know shooting it. I, I wonder if that was you know some some inside out material going down at that point. I guess probably was. Yeah. Probably I think was. I That's think awesome. Mike I think Mike Down is in the pictures too though. But I mean you yeah. guys were all hanging out with him at that time before he was for, even for, in the band, for, right? Well, Force Down and Inside Out were really close. They're right. total brother total brother bands and that's why Mike ended up being the guitar player. Vic actually right. chose Mike to be his successor. Um it, which sucked that it didn't work out cuz we're all super close and Zach uh Zach loves Mike Down, and they continue to be friends uh, well into the 90s. And uh, was Mike Down the first singer of House of Suffering? No, that that is... Uh, is that uh, Mike, Mike Down's a white, white dude. Yeah, but yeah. The, I know Caton was on one of the seven inches, and K- there's another Kayton's, guy. Caton's the second singer. But wasn't okay. did, did, was Mike Down there's, involved there's, in House of Suffering? No, not at all. That's Never a, even heard of House that's of Suffering. That's amenity. That's amenity. Amenity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I love that that first House of Suffering seven inch. It's that's really rad. good. It's so they good. Got a, what they did was they got a legit hip hop dude to be yeah. the singer of House of Suffering, and so that House of Suffering was kind of amenity's answer to Rage Against the Machine. Uh huh. I knew and, it was one of those San Diego guys. Right. 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 Yeah. It's every dude in amenity except for Mike Down. Oh, so, <laughs> okay. So they wow. replaced there's they replaced their singer with a different dude and called it House of Suffering, mm-hmm. which they're a great band. You know that was yeah, cool. I saw them a couple of times. They were super awesome. and and get this, they were super influential to that San Diego band POD. Yes. Oh, they, yeah. They, they, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And HR's on a track in there. POD covered uh, a House of Suffering song recorded, and um, it's out there in the world. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they put it. They put it out on a EP, and then and, uh, Tim Amenity and House of Suffering guitar player had to sue him because he wasn't getting his royalties off it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So he ended up winning the suit, and he got his money. <laughs> All right, guys, yeah. that's uh, this has been an awesome conversation. We really appreciate it. That was, you know, a lot of people, this was a, a, a highly anticipated uh, episode and a lot of people have a lot of feelings about that. And when the first uh, part one, which we didn't really intend for this to be a two-parter, we thought, I at least thought that we were going to be, we recorded the first episode with uh, Vic, Sterling and Alex, and then we we're going to move on. Chris Bratton actually reached out to us and said, hey, you guys want to talk? And we're like, fuck yeah, we want to talk. And so after the first episode, like immediately, uh, even like the the day before it dropped, 
because on Tuesdays it drops on Patreon. You get it a day early if you're a, a, a patron. And people immediately started throwing uh, feelings about, about that interview. And I guess we should talk about some of that stuff and talk about sure. first our, our reception to the reception of that episode. And then, you know, we could talk a little bit about the stuff that Chris had to say. Um, me personally, you know, I, I, I think at some point I fell out of love with the inside out seven inch. I, I don't know why I don't hate it. I don't dislike it. I just, I don't love it as much as I did when I was younger. And so I don't have as much of a, a personal connection or, or as an attachment to it as some people do. And it's so crazy to me when people like all of a sudden, because you have a feeling about a record, it changes the way that you are in their eyes, right? Like I'm a bad person or I'm an idiot or I'm a fool because I, you know, don't like this record or whatever it is. Um, now I personally have been accused of doing this to other people. And if I ever do that to anyone, it's, pure sarcasm and just me fucking around. If either of you were like, you know what? I don't really like Bloodlet. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I could see why you don't like Bloodlet. Like, it's not for everyone. I wouldn't be like, wow, you're a fucking idiot because you don't like Bloodlet. You know what I mean? And it's so crazy how people gatekeep this stuff so much that... It, it turns into like a personal attack because you don't like a record. Now, I'm not saying that this happened per se too much for this inside out seven ish, but I did actually have a couple reach out to me and they're like, man, I can't believe like you don't love this record. I, you know, it's just wild to me that you think this way. And I don't know. Uh, that's, that's been my uh, fallout forum from episode one personally. Jason, kick it. Share your thoughts. I mean, I mean, I love this seven inch and then revisiting this seven inch. I still love this seven inch. The songs are very important to me. And I think a lot of people just want these songs that they love represented well when we discuss them. And I think that we did. And I think the interview that you put together for part one was intense and emotional. And I think that part just like two, inside out. Yeah, exactly. Like, how could you not have a volatile situation when you're talking about this record, the people involved, like the story behind it, there's bound to be some really strong feelings in there between yeah. the members and, and people's reactions to each other. You know, maybe things built up over time, uh, people's memories of certain situations and to, to hear Sterling, like it kind of seemed like that was the first time that was ever addressed between Sterling and Alex of where, yeah. you know, like, Hey, sorry, I kicked you out of the band, man. I feel really bad about it. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, part, go Jay. I was going to say the part that got me was when Alex was talking about, maybe I wasn't cool to hang out with when I was 15 yeah. and Vic was like, your personality was cool. And it's just something that I think that was a real special interview Mm -hmm. um i think that part two i'm very happy that chris came and talked to us yeah because i think the perspective that he brought and the details that he remembered and then 
when Pat Flynn joined. What the fuck? I almost forgot. Wait a second. This is one of the best fucking records, in my opinion, one of the best fucking hardcore records out there. And I forgot that this is awesome that we get to talk to these people about this. Yeah. So yeah, I was no, thankful I, that he joined when he did. You know, my, my take was when you look at Inside Out, it's a unique situation because it's very rare that you have a band from hardcore where one person goes on this totally different trajectory and gets massively popular. Yes. Right. In the, in this case, Zach and to the outside eye keeps none of those ties. And that's not a, it's not a slight at Zach at all because one of the things to, uh, go back to something I think one of our patrons said is how could Javier say that he'd rather listen to raging Against the machine than inside out. I mean, raging Against the machine is have a vast catalog of music and are, you know, this incredibly innovative band. I would put raging Against the machine on my top 20 bands of all time. I wouldn't put inside out. They only have six songs. If inside out did an LP or another couple seven inches. Sure. But I think this is one of the best seven inches ever. Sure. These songs. But as far as like a band, like him saying he'd rather listen to Rage Against the Machine, I don't really think that's as crazy as people are making it sound. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to throw that out there. But with the thing with Zach is like all these other bands, like like to bring it back to Scream. You had Scream, then you have Dave Grohl who ends up joining Nirvana. And then after Nirvana, he does Foo Fighters and he's just the biggest rock star you know in the world and but he still kind of kept he didn't sever those ties like you'll still hear like you know he he'll like he drummed on a blast seven inch and he'll show up at a scream or he'll do this and that and zach's not like that but that's that's his personal choice and truthfully we don't know what he does behind the scenes i you know we know that he does keep in touch with the hayworth brothers and with you know brian chu and that so i just think that this was an incredible opportunity to talk about this record that is so important to so many people myself included and to be able to get the different perspectives of of people and yeah maybe air some grievances out on their behalf uh, to let, you know, that original or not the original, but that, that core lineup towards the seven inch, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, have that kind of therapeutic moment. And us as interviewers, our job isn't to negate their feelings. So yeah, we we were very, um, what's the word? We were like inert. We're just in the middle. We're kind of facilitating the discussion and we didn't encourage. In fact, this has been the most, uh, I guess you could say controversy that's ever been on our podcast. And some people want more than we have been giving like, oh, why don't you talk about this and this hard question? And I've always wanted to avoid that stuff. Like, I would, I would rather talk about the actual records than talk about people's beef with each other from 35 years ago. But I think that in the context of this group of people and this record, it was very important to let them talk about whatever they had to say. And some of that stuff was negative. And if some of them have negative views towards other people in the band, Hey, 
Yeah. Fuck it. Bring it on. And it's and even the thing about like, you know, in the first part about the, you know, and and one thing is is knowing Vic and being friends with Vic, he's he his sense of humor is is incredible. But I think some people might not get it. And when he's saying things like super villains and stuff, I, I don't think that he really means anything harmful. It's just like something funny. And like Hoff said, we're just kind of there, fly on the wall at that point. Yeah. Whatever comes out as long as the as long as the people discussing it are fine with it getting out which they were yeah that's where our that's where our responsibility ends it wasn't anything like we don't necessarily you know what is it like the views expressed in this interview do not necessarily represent the views <laughs> right. of the you know that that's like where we stand with it but i think it was important to have this part too to have a a different perspective and yeah. in my opinion as a fan Part one and part two are both essential listens if you're a fan. Like, sure. like I wouldn't say that, oh, well, this interview was better than this one. They both have reasons that they're what I would say like mandatory listens. And I'm super thankful and appreciative of everyone involved that we got to uh, you know discuss it with everybody. You know, one of the things that's most interesting to me about doing this podcast is in preparation – to before and after the episodes is listening to the material and you know having people send us files and sending people files trading basically tape trading of live recordings um going back and listening to demo stuff and Mm -hmm. with with this one you know i did really get to sit down on my not just on, on, on with a seven inch anymore, but either on headphones or at my computer, listening to that inside out youth of today, split seven inch, the live recording, listening to the live uh, KXLU recording. And then having Bratton tell us that there is no inside out demo, which I was, you know, up until that point, I was today years old when I found out there was no inside out demo. I thought that what, because there's, we got a picture from someone sent to us that literally says like, here's the inside out demo. But it's like, it's not the inside out demo. It's the, it's the working, you know, you got sent home from the studio with it. So that kind of archaeology to me, and some people might just know that stuff. You know, but other people are like, oh, wow, that's really fucking some interesting shinfo. That's great. Yeah. I agree. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm, we, we, first off, as we always say, we never claim to be the authorities on this stuff. Yeah. That's why, and, and frankly, that's why we do the interviews. If we thought we were the authorities, then just the three of us would just talk about it and leave it at that. Yeah. And, you know, I know that's what we did in the, in the very, very beginning for you know a bunch of different reasons but that's why we ask the people and you know we'll have somebody say oh this isn't true and i'm like that's what the the subject said and right really is any of it not true if it's how they felt like you can't say that somebody Good point. you know you can't discount their feelings yeah and so there's that's other stuff true like to be good interviewers we might know the quest the answer to a question but that doesn't mean that everybody listening doesn't know it and i think that's a good point for the three of us to remember in the future you know is like oh let's talk about this even though we think that that's just common knowledge it might not be it may not be yeah. you know and and um also too like 
you know, we recently sat down with Sammy to talk about the Judge 7-inch, the second Judge 7-inch. And on the side, Jason and I were talking about how some of these uh, records, like the Judge 7-inch is just two songs. And the Inside Out 7-inch is four songs. But then the CD version and the tape version has an extra song or two extra songs. And so, um, you know, really understanding that there's maybe people who have never heard those two extra songs or that really don't listen to when the levy breaks or whatever, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like we have to really understand that there's a lot of different ways to digest this stuff. Completely agree. And I, I also agree about, so sometimes, yeah, we do ask questions that may to you, the listener seem like common knowledge, but it might not be too. Yeah. And, um, I was just, this episode, these two episodes were a long time coming. You know, when we first started it, that was the whole thing. Like, oh, wait till you get to Inside Out. I actually, I think once we started interviewing people, it was like, oh, what about when you get to Inside Out? And uh, I feel very comfortable with what we um, accomplished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll leave this super vague not necessarily closing the chapter on talking about this record in the future, sure. but for now we're going to, well, it's you just know. like with Bratton, like we thought it was done. Yeah. And then it's like some, if somebody else wants to come up, even with like the sick of it all episode, like, you know, the me and you sat around and talked about sick of it all. And then a couple months later, we got knock on our door. Hey, you guys want to talk about sick of it all again? And we're yeah. like, and we're not going like, to say yeah. no. Yeah. So 2022 comes around and we get a, a, you know, a cryptic email that's like, hey, do you guys want to talk about this? Like, fuck yeah, we'll talk about this. Why not? As long <laughs> as as long as there's people who want to hear the story and we are in a position to tell the story, like uh, it got, really got brought up with this episode talking to the three of us, like these two conversations is the closest to an inside out documentary as there has ever been. Yeah. Yeah. And if this was there's something different than like an interview in a fanzine yes. or a write up in a book, because you're hearing that person's actual voice and their, um, you know, dialect or whatever you call it, you know, there, you can hear the feeling and the emotion. Yeah. Oh, I've almost forgot. This was the first podcast that Chris Bratton has ever done. Yeah. Yes. So, so I'm real thankful to him for his time. Same. Thank you, and, Jason. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, also, and also to Thank Tim you. for joining us. Like, I love when Tim McMahon joins us, man. He's just, you know, such a, a again, like I said about Bratton, he's such a wealth of information. He's been doing hardcore archaeology for longer than yeah. almost anybody. And he cares so much about hardcore that it's, it's wild. And I'm glad, you know, I, I read a lot of Double Cross. Um, but also I don't have the patience to read right now. I've been fucking plugging away at this book on my nightstand for months. And I just, man, I just don't always want to read. So to be able to listen to stuff and watch stuff, I kind of wish there was more YouTube content out there for, um, you know, maybe if there was, if someone wants to do a YouTube version of what we do or like, imagine if someone like Finn McKenty was talking more about hardcore history, you know what I mean? Like I would watch the fuck out of that YouTube video. So um, I think that it's a really good time to create 
content that is important and not just for the sake of creating content, but for like preservation and historianship. I just made that word up, historianship. <laughs> I like it though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that was what we talked about even with, with Chris uh, is like, apart from, yeah, book can maybe be around, but like this can be around for an indefinite amount of time. Yeah. So we want to make sure that we're documenting properly um, so that people, like we said, in 10 years and some kid gets into inside out, they can find this podcast and they can yeah. learn a lot that we didn't have, uh, you know, when we were younger, the, the opportunity. So I think it is cool what we're doing to bid it bow ourselves. Yeah. Um, and it does take a lot of work and a lot of time. So we really appreciate when people have told us, you know, oh my gosh, you guys are making this pandemic so much better. Or just, you know, my, I've been having a rough time and it's nice to revisit this stuff from when I was yeah. younger or whatever. Yeah, the, the revisiting thing with a lot of people where it's like, you know, maybe they did grow up listening to these records and they didn't know about them. They didn't know, uh, you know, I talked about how enigmatic uh, Mike Judge was in the insert of the Storm 7-inch. And so to get an explanation uh, the story behind some of this stuff to dispel or uh, to either bust or prove um, hardcore urban legends, you know, like that kind of shit is cool and people still want to know. And I think that that's really cool that, you know, it could be anyone from someone who's uh, 18 and just getting into this stuff. And maybe this makes them want to hear it more or someone who's fucking 48 and they grew up with this stuff and they're like, yeah, yeah this is really cool to like revisit. I think that it's, uh, it's, it's so niche and it's so like, you know, such a small audience, but at the same time, like this is where we're helping to facilitate telling a story that is very important. I back that. Yeah. Agreed. And I think right. that's a good place to... Yeah, so, uh, Jason. Yes. What do we have on our next episode? Next episode, we're going to be talking about Judge's final record, The Storm 7-inch. The Swan Song. And the I used, Swan Song. Uh, in, in the interview, I used that term, Swan Song, on purpose. Do you know For why? Carcass? No, on purpose. <laughs> because of uh sammy uh is a huge fan of swan lake no absolutely not <laughs> i don't know I just, <laughs> because that it was uh led zeppelin's like one of their things was swan oh uh, okay so yeah stay well tuned done. stay tuned for that <laughs> um so we did t we, cats out of the bag we talked to sammy yeah and uh which well is i mean hey uh, in true form of where it went since that uh, episode isn't coming out for a couple weeks. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? We could be <laughs> like, hey, brother, you want to talk about this? Let's talk about it. Or, you know, Porcel could jump on. Like, literally, you never know what's going to happen. So, you'll And that's what I love. Like, and, and I love when we're even surprised, like, with Pat Flynn jumping on. I was, was like, surprise I was for like, sure. Yeah. So uh, this is my Zoom account, or it's under my name. So I see all of the people that have to jump into the waiting room. And I was like... Pat Flynn is in the waiting room. And I text, <laughs> I text the group chat and I was like, you guys, 
It says that Pat Flynn's in the waiting. Like, I thought it was a joke. I thought that someone was like, do pull in some like AOL thing where, you know, the very first, <laughs> the very first time I went on AOL was with Steve Aoki. And he was, he goes on and he's like, hi, I'm Ian McKay. And he was talking to all these people and saying he was Ian McKay. And so I thought someone was. I used to make the fake screen names where you'd replace like a number one for yeah. the L and then yeah. I am, you know? And, yeah. Uh, so it's like uh, Pat Flynn has entered the way. What? What the? And it was cool. Fuck? He came it in. Was cool. He, he, yeah, like, it was great. Can, I, can I bring up one more thing that I yes. forgot to bring up on yes. the intro outro of the part one uh, for Inside Out was can we address the fact that when we were, we were on this, the Zoom. Uh huh. And there was a point. So Jordan Cooper, a uh, bit of Bo to Jordan, he was in there, but he was like, you know, just kind of had it on to, to listen and interject if possible. And then while he's there, another number pops up. A 714 number. A 714, which we know is California. Orange County. Right? It's Orange, Orange, County. Orange County, yeah. And there was definitely a moment where everybody in that room had the look like yes, like is this uh, Zach. Is this Zach? Like did Jordan? <laughs> did Jordan throw the hail mary pass for us? And I just the the wow. feeling that like rushed through my body at that point, dude. You could see it in everybody's face. Indescribable. So I don't know if I'll be curious if you can hear on the on that interview the point where like we were like, but um. So I thought that was uh, funny. And as Chris brought up in here we tried our best to get zach but probably not gonna happen yeah yeah we did try we and uh, yo i don't even know if we said this out loud but jason sent a dm to killer mike (laughs) from run the jewels and was like hey uh, hey i'm a huge fan and i run this podcast is there any way you could reach out to zach and tell him to holler at us message unread (laughs) message unread still to this day still unread damn killer you never know maybe he'll read it and maybe we can just get killer mike on here hey fair enough all right (laughs) all right well uh thanks for tuning in and uh we will see you next time bit about bye bit about What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to holler at our top tier patrons for a second. Patrons? Patreons? <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Billy Tunnell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, Ed Goodlife, Greg Jackson, uh, John Cowell, Dollar Slice Bootlegs, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, O'Neill the Horsefucker, Siren Records, Rob Moran, Tim Shear, and of course, Mike the Mosher. If you'd like to help us out, you can check us on www.wherewhenpodcast.com. Bidibo!